0: Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Brian Jesiak. Brian is a Swift compiler committer who works on LLVM full-time at Facebook in New York, and he's also the creator of Quick, a Swift and Objective-C testing framework, Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. How's it going? What are you up to?
1: Ah, Nothing much. Uh, Sitting at my desk, kind of um, getting ready for this podcast. It's a beautiful fall day in New York.
0: And uh, (laughs) yeah, feeling pretty good. Right on. Yeah, so this is the third episode uh, in a row that uh, I'm interviewing somebody from New York. Um, you know, Ryan uh, Nystrom, New York, Facebook, uh, Brandon Williams, New York, you know, formerly Kickstarter, now independent and uh, point free. And now you, Brian, yeah, Facebook uh, as well. It's pretty fun. Um,
1: the New York tech community is definitely pretty burgeoning and it's a great place to be.
0: Yeah, it's like so far this season is, is shaping up to be an ad for working in New York as a developer. Oh boy, I could not recommend it enough yeah you like it out there
1: oh i love it yeah it's um you know especially working at facebook and and interacting with a lot of people who live out in california just hearing like their stories about their commutes and and uh how much of a sort of like a tech-centric culture it is out in california it's i feel really grateful being in new york and just you know taking a two-minute walk from work to go to some bar where no techies hang out you know it's great
0: and do you have to, like, take the train
1: to work or do you walk to work? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Ryan, uh, you, since you mentioned him, walks to work. And, and that's definitely an option. Me personally, I, I grew up in uh, Williamsburg, which is this part of Brooklyn. And so I, I to me, it's sort of fundamental that, like, I want a train ride to get to where I work. And then I want to get on a train and go back to where I relax. Um, so I, I take a train. It, it's about a
0: 25-minute commute. So you're actually from New York. Oh yeah, I grew up here. Oh wow, that's awesome. Okay, so before we get into you know where you come from, you know your background, I want to talk real quick about like what you do right now. So um, you are you know part time, kind of like unofficially, right? Because Swift is open source, a Swift compiler committer, um, but you're. And then you know you work on open source stuff and you do some writing, which we're going to talk about. But like your full time day job is um, at Facebook, and you work on LLVM full time at Facebook. Um, and I want to get into like what that means and all that. But just quick, can you tell us like about that work? Like, what do you do? What does that mean? Sure, uh, it's actually a
1: recent team change for me. Uh, up until um, working on LLVM, I was working on just a bunch of developer tools at Facebook. And uh, now uh, working on LLVM, that means, well, so Facebook has a ton of programs, like C++ programs that run on a bunch of servers. Um, and so this those like programs- is uh, Yeah, except, um, so you know how uh, the Swift compiler will take your Swift source code, and it'll, it'll convert it, it'll translate it into this thing called LLVM IR. And then LLVM is the part that translates that Uh, intermediary representation, that language, goes and translates that into uh, like the zeros and ones and that form executables that are executed on uh, your phone, right, if you're writing an iOS Swift app. Um, So similarly, there's this compiler called Clang, which is uh, a compiler that takes C, C++, Objective-C, all of those uh, source languages, translates that into this intermediary representation, LVMIR, and then LVM takes that and turns it into programs that actually run on these computers. Um, so Facebook has, as you can imagine, tons of C++ programs that are running on servers. Uh, these are the things that determine for any given person uh, what's the best advertisement to show them right now, or like what's the best, uh, the most interesting story to them in their newsfeed. Um, and so it like does it takes these things and it ranks them and tries to determine what to show. And that's all written in like C plus plus, and uh, since they're those programs take up a lot of uh, CPU and they take a lot of time to run because it's some complex stuff that they're doing. Uh, so what I do is I work on LVM, and and uh, what that means is once those programs are translated into LVM IR, LVM then goes and turns them into zeros and ones. But like some configurations of zeros and ones run faster than others, as you you might imagine, right? Like. Uh, you know, if depending on how you take a loop and optimize it, it might run faster. So right now what I'm working on is um, there's this popular compression library called LZ4, uh, which is used by a lot of backend services at Facebook. Um, and I'm just kind of experimenting with, well, if I tweak this part of LLVM or if I change this, can it run faster on uh, for Facebook's infrastructure? And then therefore, like, you know, if I can make it run 1% faster, then that might turn into... Uh, a faster news feed load or a faster, you know, whatever for Facebook.
0: And LLVM, is that open source? I know a little bit about it. Um, Chris Latner, we interviewed him and he talked a little bit about it. I know that was like something that he worked on a lot, like at during his university time. Uh, what's LLVM like? Is that written in C++ or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. LLVM is is basically, I think, um, you know, Chris the reason why we all know the name Chris Latner is because he invented this thing along with his, uh, I think his advisor for grad school, right, or his PhD. Um, but um, yeah, so it's it's hmm. explaining LVM is something that I, I <laughs> tried to do. <laughs> so I guess with like my what I friend before and w- uh, and it infuriated her because like she's like, oh, what do you work on all day? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll try to explain it. And then uh, we just spent like an entire date trying to get through it, and and uh, it was frustrating for her. And, and uh, I guess, it made me realize I'm I guess not good what at I explaining mean, things.
0: I guess what I mean is like when you're working on LLVM, are you writing in a language? Like in the work that yeah. you do, you're, you do LLVM at Facebook. And so are you writing? Are you programming? Like, Are you writing in a language, and then what language is that? Yep. Um, so uh, Swift,
1: Clang, LLVM, all of these things are written in C++. Um, They don't have to be, obviously. Like you know, Apple can go and rewrite the Swift compiler in whatever language it wants. Um, But they happen to be written in C++. It's actually interesting that you say that, though, because I would say that uh, you know, of the time that I spend working, understanding C++ as a as a programming language is actually I don't spend that much time doing that. A lot of the compiler work, um, what I've discovered now working on compilers at Facebook is that a lot of compiler work is more about measuring things. So like, uh, you run a C plus C++ program and you measure how long it takes, or you inspect the object and like, you know, Oh, what's inside of this thing. How did this configuration of zeros and ones turn out? And you kind of like make hypotheses like, Oh, I bet if, you know, this was laid out in a different way, it would be faster. And then you go and after like several weeks worth of investigations, you go and you like change a few lines of C So yeah, I work in C, I use some C++ day to day at work, um, but I definitely, like, I am not a C++ person. I don't really know that much about C++, and, uh, like, if I had to write a program from scratch in C++, I would do a lot of Googling.
0: So what is it about you and, like, your talents, interests, abilities that makes it that, you know, you want to um, work on LLVM at Facebook and that Facebook wants you to do that? Ah, uh,
1: Yeah. The why does Facebook want me to do that is, um, is uh, a bit of a mystery to me. Like, I think it's a great <laughs> gig, right? I want to, to do this thing. and I'll, I'll get into why uh, in a bit. But, you know, um, what's great about Facebook is, is that, you know, what I wanted to do three years ago when I first joined was completely different. What I wanted to do was work on a big iOS app. And then I changed my mind about what I wanted to do, you know, after a year or so and uh, told my manager at the time, it's like, hey, can I work on something completely different? And, and it's like, sure. <laughs> it, but it makes no sense, right? Because it's like from, I don't know, I just, it feels like a really uh, privileged opportunity to work here, to work at Facebook. And I, it, I couldn't recommend it more. That being said, um, so right now, like with my current team, uh, I don't really have that much experience, but, uh, or any experience at all, actually, working in compilers. Um, but you know, I, I expressed interest and, uh, a manager on the compiler toolchain team was like, Hey, why don't you learn on the job? Uh, and you know, I was, I was like, Oh, are you sure? Like, I don't want to start learning on the job for like six months and then get fired after I don't do a single thing at work. And he's like, well, you know, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. So here I am. Uh, and it's month three or four of working on compilers for me. So, um, wow. we'll see how it works out. Uh, okay. And as for why I want to do it, it's a that's a good question. Um, I think like I've been very interested by people's motivations and and like a lot of the time the disconnect between you know what I th- say that I want to do and then my actions when actually trying to do that thing. You know what I mean? Um, so the reason I think that I want to work on compilers is because they seem very Complex and uh, technically challenging, and they also seem very deep. Like you can work on compilers for five, six, seven, eight, nine years, and it's it continues to be interesting, and there are always new challenges. They're not; it's not a solved problem, uh, and a lot of it has to do with you know. There's always research going on, um, so it's just looking at this giant, vast field, and diving in is is kind of exciting to me.
0: Um, yeah. So, so LLVM, we can understand LLVM as a compiler, and that's what you. That's how you sort of. That's one way you look at what you do as you work on compilers, by working yeah. on LLVM.
1: Yeah. LLVM is a. Uh, it's what's referred to as a compiler backend.
0: Okay. And so it's so Facebook has all these programs um, that you guys write for whatever crunching numbers and, and making these smart decisions. And LLVM compiles that stuff down C plus Objective C, whatever down into LLVM IR, which then goes into zeros and ones.
1: Yeah, so yeah, that's you're a
0: working good on way that. Of understanding it. Okay, so you're working on that compiler part. Okay. Well, I want to get into um, there was there were some interesting things there. Like uh, you know, for instance, you wanted to work on an iOS app and then you changed gears. I want to get into all that stuff. But before Mm -hmm. we get into uh, those really interesting questions, I want to back up and I want to find out, you know, who Brian is and how you got to where you are. So why don't you start by letting us know uh, your earliest memory of programming and computers?
1: Huh. Um, Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. So I started pretty late in my life uh, programming because I, I didn't go to school for it, um, I'd say my earliest memory of, of like interacting with programming was that my college roommate in junior year of college was uh, a computer science major. And, um, and I thought he was the biggest nerd. I was like, oh, this is so lame. <laughs> so I just <laughs> I had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, and then it was only until, uh, let's see, I think... I graduated in 2008 and then in 2000 2010, I started getting interested in programming. So, um, that was, I guess, seven years ago now. Um, and the, the whole, the story why, and this is going to be confusing. So, uh, backing up even further, um, I went to college for Japanese literature. So I was interested in learning like how to speak and write and read Japanese. Um, so I went to school for it. And then after I graduated, started working in Japan. Um, and I didn't really have a plan as to what I wanted to work on. So I worked uh, first as sort of like a translator um, type person. Uh, and then after that, I started working at like a, a f- online stock brokerage, like the Japanese equivalent of a Charles Schwab or something. Um, and then after the, when I first joined that company, the CEO of that company had said that he wanted everybody, all of the new hires to like learn how to program. Now what he meant was I want you guys to understand the basic idea of programming. But what I took that to mean was like, oh, I'm going to learn Python. I'm going to learn like this language. I'm going to become like an expert programmer because I was very eager to impress the CEO at the time. Uh, So I started learning Python and and eventually, after like a year of being at that company, I realized that like they didn't really have any kind of uh, programming department. They didn't really do that sort of thing. But I had gotten really interested in it. Um, so, like on LinkedIn, I just put that I, you know, I changed my up, updated my title on LinkedIn, which had just come to Japan at the time, um, to like programmer. And then I immediately got this like uh, message from a headhunter, like this Russian headhunter in. Japan, who was in Tokyo. Um, and he was great. He was built like a bodybuilder. He was massive. Uh, but he was like, Hey, can you program iPhone apps? And I was like, What? Internally, I thought to myself, No, I, I don't even know what those are. I, I wouldn't know the first thing about them. But to him, I was like, Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm the best at programming iPhone apps. Are you kidding me? Um, so I'm I your man. Am, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I immediately got a book on iPhone programming. Um, and luckily I already had a Mac at the time. I, I don't remember if I had an iPhone, but I started, you know, working off of the simulator and, uh, you know, I, I had like an interview scheduled at some company like three weeks later and I learned as much as I could in time for that. And then I tried to get through the interview and for some reason they didn't catch on that. I wasn't a programmer at all. So like Uh, I went to the second round of interviews and eventually I got the job. Um, and that was like my, that was in 2011. I started working as a officially as an iPhone programmer. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's uh, stop there. No, go ahead. Sure. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah. I'm rambling. Okay.
0: So no, not at all. This is a really interesting story. I had no idea. I mean, I knew about the Japanese translator literature thing in Japan through your Twitter. Um, But I just assumed you've been programming your entire life. When did you start learning Python? So online stockbroke company says learn programming. You start learning Python. When was that?
1: Uh, That was so I started working at that company in 2010. uh, But I had heard that their CEO was really into programming in like 2009 ish. Um, So around then I, I like picked up a book on well, the first thing I did was pick up a book on C because I asked my old roommate, like, Oh, how do I learn how to program? And like all, and he's the real deal. Like, um, first of all, thank you for saying that like you had assumed that I was programming forever because like, I think that's a great compliment. But, um, my roommate, like he is a real programmer. Me, I'm just like pretending. Um, but he, so I asked him like, Oh, how do I learn how to program? And, uh, Like all real programmers, like he told me, oh, like you should learn C, which I think is what all real programmers say, but it's the worst advice. It's like so bad because C is like such a hard language and like and and doing anything with C is incredibly difficult. Anything besides like, you know, well, even printing hello world or like, you know, taking a number as input and printing like the sum of two numbers, even that's like super hard. So uh, I picked up a book on C and I completely got demotivated. I didn't know the first place to start. Uh, it, the book actually included a C compiler with it on CD. So like step one, installing the compiler from a CD was tripped me up. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> it was the worst. So I, I, from then on, I like, I, I looked around myself and I thought the word Python was cool. I, like Python has a cool name. That seems like an interesting thing. Yeah, so it does. I, I started with that.
0: So when you say real programmer, do you really believe that, or are you sort of half kidding, half uh, serious? Sorry, yeah, it's it's mostly tongue in
1: cheek. I think um, it's, I think the discussions sometimes are really interesting about like you know, air quote real programmer and, and stuff like that. But it's I'm joking. Um, I, I don't think there is such a thing as a real programmer.
0: Okay, but I get what you're saying. Like, you know, I don't know, hardcore or like been programming for a long time or something like yeah. that. I, I get what yeah. you're saying.
1: You know, uh, it's, it's just sort of a stereotype. And so like my, my roommate fit the stereotypical programmer image really well, right? Like he would stay up until 4am and he was like coding, he was on IRC, right? Like this, a really bad version of Slack and, uh, you know, talking with people and, 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 you know, he just did all the behaviors that a coder, the stereotypical Hollywood coder did. So like, um, that's what I mean by like a real programmer. Also, he knew like, C and he knew how to write C plus plus and all that stuff.
0: Which he wore feel like glasses. Very, he drank yep, like yep. diet coke, and uh, there was all these diet coke cans like on his desk and like hot, exactly. flaming hot Cheetos, empty flaming hot Cheetos, like kind of <laughs> like the programmer in Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly
1: right. Except he was like bone thin, so you know, okay. I don't know where it went.
0: Okay, so very interesting. I'm very surprised. You start. Uh, thinking about programming and starting to learn it around 2009, 2010. So before that, I mean, obviously you probably had computers, like, you know, at home or in Mm -hmm. class, like you were working with computers. But, like, growing up in Williamsburg, in New York, like, you know, you're five, you're six, you're seven, there's no computer at home. You're not thinking about programming. You're not programming at all.
1: Yeah, there's – I think there was a computer at home – but we only used it to play, uh, you remember that game X-Wing? Man, we would play that all the time. That and like Mario teaches typing. That's what we would play. Uh, I my brother maybe
0: and I. X-Wing, was that on
1: MS-DOS? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, my brother and I knew enough about computers to sometimes boot it. And then when we had questions, we would ask my dad.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, So so you really do mark your first real foray into learning how to program in like 2009, 2010 with Python.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I was singularly not interested in it up until then.
0: Wow. Really impressive. And now, um, let's say seven, eight years later, you're, uh, working at Facebook. I mean, you're, you're very well known in the Swift community, um, and Objective-C I assume too. Uh, and you're working at Facebook and you're working on LLVM. Like that's, you know, that's really impressive. I mean, I don't really know what it takes to do that. And so I don't necessarily mean like impressive, like, Oh, oh yeah. No, I, wrong. I don't but know it, what it takes to do that either. Just, but what I mean yeah. is like, it just sounds really like improbable, you know, like you, I would think <laughs> yeah. like you have to be studying programming your entire life to be where you are right now. And the only reason I'm making a big deal out of it is well, one of the reasons is like, I think that's inspiring for some people listening out there. Um, because uh, a lot of the times I like, uh, interview people and they might be programming since they were five. But um, your story, I think, is really powerful and inspiring in that way.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm super jealous of... Because of, um, I have some coworkers that that are like that. You know, like, oh, my parents bought me an Apple II when I was growing up and I've been programming in BASIC ever since. Um, and, like, boy, I wish.
0: <laughs> well... I think that, you know, we all sort of get where we need to go eventually uh, in mm-hmm. different ways. And yeah, so it's really cool that you you're, you're are where you're at and you got there the way you did. Um, as I said, it's inspiring. OK, so you start hacking around on Python. You change your LinkedIn profile. Russian <laughs> headhunter um, finds yeah. you, asks you about iPhone programming. You say I'm your man. And... Um, you, it's, it's, what was the, then you applied for a job like, um, this was not the Russian headhunter. Oh. It sounds like you kind of did that. And then you applied for a job and you got the no, job. So the Russian other guy,
1: Alexi is his name. Cause I, but, uh, so Alexi, uh, was, uh, had a uh, place in mind. And so he asked oh, okay. me if I did had iPhone programming experience because he wanted me to interview there. And then he okay. set up the interview and all that. So, yeah, I I, um, I did what I usually, my usual interviewing tactic, um, which is to schedule the interview as far out as possible, right? So I talked to Alexi and he's like, when's the earliest you could do the interview? And I say, okay, well, the earliest I could do it is, is four weeks from now, right? Because I have plans the entire four weeks. And so he's like, well, okay, I, that's fine, I guess. And so that entire four weeks is when I tried to learn as much about what they were going to be interviewing me for as possible. And then like the first one worked out, right? Like the screening interview worked out. And so the company I was interviewing for was like, okay, when can you come in to do the, the next and final round? On site. Right. And on site. And, uh, and I was like, well, the earliest I could do it is four weeks from now. Right. And once again, trying to build up as much time as possible. So like, and I wanted, I thought they would ask me for like a sample app, some sort of app that I had written before. And I couldn't, f- I made one in time for the first interview, but it was really bad. And then by the time that I went to the second interview, I actually had one and was fairly proud of it. I shouldn't have been, like it was really po- poorly made, but um, like I, I, I was proud of it. And so, uh, you know, I, I, that extra time in between the interviews gave me time to like actually learn a thing or two.
0: You're just a really busy guy. Uh, yeah, it's it's
1: too busy. I, I need to <laughs> I the my biggest problem these days is
0: is like too many side projects. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we're definitely going to get into those. Okay, so I'm assuming everything went well and you actually got that first iOS developer position?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's really funny uh, because I, you know, at the time I thought that I had tricked them. You know, I was like, ah, I tricked this guy into thinking that I was, I actually knew a thing or two about iPhone programming. Um, maybe, I so that was in 2011. So, I met back up with um, my boss at the time, one of the people who interviewed me, um, fairly famous, uh, like Japanese uh, programmer, CTO type. Um, but I met back up with him in 2013. Uh, and I, I was talking to him, and it's like, man, I can't believe I tricked you back then. And <laughs> he was like, You didn't trick me at all. Like you were really you just seemed like you knew absolutely nothing about programming. But you know, you were an interesting guy, so like we thought maybe it would work out. And even if it didn't, like, you know, we didn't pay you that much. So <laughs> So I was like, Oh, okay, I guess I didn't pull a
0: fast one at all. They tricked you and you tricked yourself. You, oh, yeah. you, you like needed this, I don't know, for some reason, like this was the way that you were able to get into this thing that you ended up like making sense for you to be in. like you enjoy it and it made sense for you to be in this. and like that's how you needed to fall into it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Um, it was I, I do think there was a fair deal of trickery all around, um, because <laughs> once I started working there, this is like a Japanese uh, social gaming company. Um, and yeah, I would never recommend anyone, uh, born in the United States work in Japan as a programmer, uh, because they like this company really worked me to the bone. Um, it was kind of good, right? Because like, so the, I remember during the interview, like my future boss asked like, what is it that you hope to get out of this job? And I was like, I just want to program as much as possible. I want to get as much programming experience as possible. Um, because, you know, I, this was very early on in my programming career and I was like, I just want tons of experience. Um, and he's like, well, you'll definitely get that here. And what he <laughs> meant was that like the workday started at like 9 30 AM every day. And it not like, you know, the way that U S workdays start where it's like, uh, well U S tech workdays start where it's like, ah, eh, you know, show up when you want Facebook, for example, you could just show up whenever and it's no big deal. This place was like, if you show up after 9 30 AM, you are late. And, and that's bad, and you'd get reprimanded. And then wow. work would go on until, like, 11.30 p.m. midnight every day. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, uh, usually on Fridays, you know, we would have stand-up meetings. We'd have two stand-up meetings, um, one in the morning and then one at, like, around 7.30 p.m. at night, um, which is, like, halftime, because it's, you're going to keep working until, like, midnight, so, like, you know, you still got another five hours left in you. Um, so around, like, the evening stand-up on Fridays, it would usually be... Uh, You know, the question would come out and it's like, oh, so it's crunch time. Are we going to be working over the weekend? Like, show of hands, who's working over the weekend? And it's like really hard to not raise your hand in that situation. Oh, my gosh. So it was just nonstop work for I was there for like uh, a year. One year is about all I could take. Um, Programming boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was a really um, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but it was a pretty good way to get a lot of um, experience, I guess.
0: Before this job, this iOS developer job in Japan, you uh, went, it sounds like you went to school for Japanese literature, you graduated. Um, did you study Japanese literature in Japan?
1: Um, no, not specifically, not while in Japan. I mean, I, I did a year of study abroad while I was in college, but. Okay. Uh, so
0: you study Japanese literature in, in the States, you moved oh, to that's Japan, right, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You moved to Japan and you're working as a translator in Japan. Um, and then you do this online stockbroker thing, and then you get this job as um, an iOS developer. At what point do you... And, and, and you said that you really want to learn programming. You told your boss, like, I just want to learn a lot about programming. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume now, like, you're passionate about programming. It's your job, but it's also, um, in some ways, a passion. Um, at what point... Like, did you discover that back then? Um, like, At what point did you realize, like, I'm going to be a programmer. I can be a programmer full-time and sort of not really give up, but sort of put aside all this work that you had done studying Japanese literature and and working in Japan doing translating and like yeah, you know, when did you when did you realize that? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um yeah, because
1: there definitely was a point um I I tend to get really passionate about things and really like focus on stuff. Um And so, you know, yeah, like you said, uh, from like 2002, when I first started studying Japanese, shortly before I went to college, um, up until some point, right, in the 2010s, I was like, oh, I really want to study Japanese. And I spent all my time studying Japanese. That was my, like, hobby. That was my, you know, what I did for school. It was everything. And then at one point, uh, I switched, and I was like, okay, I'm not, like, I'm not really interested in that anymore. Um, I think it was around, uh, I think it was around like 2009, 2010 when I first started looking for work in Japan. Right, like I had graduated, I had done like translating or whatever. But then at some point, I was like, well, I, I, it's interesting, right? Like you don't really enjoy the it. language. Uh, it's all about communication, right? Like communication with a group of people that you would not have been able to communicate with otherwise. Um, The fundamental flaw in this, uh, in the way that I had been learning Japanese was that uh, I got really good at communicating, but I had absolutely nothing to communicate to people. Like, what do you, okay, so let's say I would talk to Japanese people, and then what would I talk with them about, right? Like, would I talk with them about how I learned Japanese because they're not interested in Uh. that because they, they learned it naturally. Like, they're like, Oh, that's a cool story about you. But you know what? There's no exchange of ideas here.
0: Um, Like a hobby or a passion besides language. Like, you know, I don't know, kite surfing.
1: Exactly. Right. So, but you know, the problem was that I was so singularly focused on like learning this communication tool that I hadn't, didn't really have anything to communicate. Um, so around like 2009 I'd say is when like I shifted to like okay well I want to work on something I want to have a you know have a career or something and then this like being able to speak Japanese would just be sort of like a secondary thing um which you know it's I had put a lot of work into it so I to this day like try to maintain a certain amount of like ability to speak and read and write um but yeah, I would say in 2009 is when that changed. And then I, uh, you know, I was floundering around, didn't really know what to do. I found this, uh, you know, I eventually got a job at that stock brokerage, um, online stock brokerage place. And and then when I, once I started working there, I didn't, still didn't really know what I, what I wanted to do. I thought it was finance for a while. I just, you know, for some reason couldn't really stay awake when reading about finance and stuff. So, uh, you know, like, my body betrayed the fact that like, I didn't, wasn't really that interested in it. Right. Um, and then once I got into programming uh, was when I, I kind of got back into that, like having learned Japanese before, I know what I feel like when I feel really motivated, right? Like, Oh, uh-huh. I, I don't want to go to sleep because I want to keep doing this thing, for example. And that's the same way that I felt when I first started getting into programming. Um, and, and then that's, I guess when I knew that like, this is it. And it ended up being really oh, great Wow! because um, like the, you know, while I wouldn't recommend anyone to work in Japan as a programmer, it has like the best meetup scene, right? Like there's so many great like meetups, iOS meetups and, and, and like uh, different formats for those meetups and the community is really awesome. And then what's really great was that like, that was the first time that I really felt like, Oh, I'm communicating with these people. And I have like, I have ideas. I have like uh, thoughts about iPhone programming and stuff like that. That I can that then I can use this tool, Japanese, to communicate with with people about. And that was when it really like all clicked for me. It was like this is
0: great. Yeah, that must have felt really good. Um, curious, do you view your communication abilities, um, you know, with language, for instance, like going from Japanese to English and English to Japanese? Like, do you have any of those, are you using those same kind of skills when you're thinking about, for instance, like diagnostics um, and like compiler, like as, um, as a language, like the compiler has a voice and you're translating between like, um, a machine to the compiler to the human, right? Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: I really wish that were the case, but no, I've never, I've never made that connection personally when thinking about it. Um, you know, to me, it's kind of like it's been refreshing almost to, you know, uh, kind of come to terms with myself. The fact that like, you know, in my mind, the whole spending eight, nine, maybe a decade of my life learning Japanese, uh, was sort of a thing on the side and it doesn't, it's not really, you know, super relevant to anything I do anymore.
0: I'm Um, with you there. You know, I spent a lot of my time going to law school, becoming a lawyer. So mm -hmm. I'm with you there.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be great if if everything we did in our lives just like fed into some grand vision of ourselves? But I feel like that's not, you know, at least in my case, it's that's not it. I mean, like I fully expect also, you know, in the future, you know, I'll probably get tired of programming at some point, and then at that point, I'll probably switch to something else. And then, you know, it's I think it, it, uh, is imperative, at least for me, at that point, to not feel like oh, I'm so late coming to whatever it is that I'm passionate about next. Right. Like it, it's not really healthy or constructive to say like, to, for me to think about myself, like, Oh, I, I wish I had been a programmer earlier. Right. Like I wish I had been learning this stuff since I was a kid. And it's like, yeah, well, you didn't. And, uh, that's fine. And it's, it's not as if like your life is ruined or anything.
0: Yeah, no, we're, we are like where we're supposed to be. And I think like all the things we do indirectly sort of help and, and ultimately get us here. Right. You are in Japan and, you through this like random series of events you're here now, like in New York. Um, and not everything has to like directly feed into it, but I think indirectly it all does. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like
1: just learning how to learn and, and, um, (laughs) even just becoming older and wiser and knowing more about yourself is, is huge.
0: Okay. So you are working as an iOS developer in Japan for a year uh, can you eventually you move back to the states? It sounds like. Can you take us through that um, sort of series of, of events until you get oh, yeah. uh, hired at Facebook?
1: It starts with a pretty big event, right? It was uh, in 2011. I was working for this company, social gaming company, in uh, in Japan, and then I got deported. <laughs> so um, oh, basically, oh uh, <laughs> right? Uh, I. When I switched from the stock brokerage to the social gaming company, where I started working as an iPhone developer, you know, I remember walking up to to somebody at HR during one of the orientations, and I was like, Ah, yeah. So my visa expires in about six months, um, and uh, we're gonna have to get that renewed. And uh, the HR guy was like, um, You know, he said in Japanese, like which means like, "Oh, you know, got it." Now, what I interpreted that to mean was. Uh, like I got it, I'm going to take care of this and right. we're going to let you know what the follow up steps are. Now, what he meant probably was like, uh, you know, the, the Japanese equivalent of uh, cool story, right? Like, I mean, it's cool that your visa is expiring six months. I don't know what you expect me to do about it or something like that. Oh, wow. So anyway, uh, lost in translation, right? Uh, six months pass. I don't receive any word from HR or anyone else about updating my visa. But meanwhile, like, you know, I'm working morning till night over here, right? Like I, I, there is not a spare moment of, in my brain, like there's no uh, capacity to think about this stuff. You know, every once in a while, I remember back then, you know, on the weekends, um, after getting home from work on the weekends, I would like stare at my passport and like think about how the date, the expiration date on the passport is, you know, in the past And I was like, but surely this just means like, this is just a piece of paper. There's some sort of database somewhere, right? Like it's electronically stored. And so I didn't think about it (laughs) Um, until one day I was, uh, yeah, I I wanted to book travel to uh, back to New York to visit my family. And uh, back in those days in Japan, uh, US residents needed to uh, get a reentry permit from the immigration office, basically a little piece of paper that says, I have a visa, I'm just gonna pop out of the country for like a month and come back. And so I went to the immigration office uh, to get that re-entry permit. And I remember like so vividly that day because it's, it was like bright sunny day in Tokyo, sun shining, birds chirping, it's so great. And it was like, it, it felt like the first sunlight I had seen outside of an office you know, in a year because I'd been working at that company for a year and it was just worked completely to the bone. You know, I got on a train to the immigration office, which is, like, on this uh, tiny island, you know, that's off the coast of Tokyo. Um, and I remember thinking, like, wow, isn't it so, you know, mind-blowing that I could just get on a train and go wherever I want, whenever I want, right? Like, there's so many possibilities in life. And, you know, this is, like, thinking about it now. Clearly, I was, uh, like overworked, right? Like I was burning out hard because even getting on a train to a location that I don't, didn't usually go was enough to make my mind blown, right? Like, I was like oh wow. So I get to the immigration office and I, you know, wait in line for a bit, you know, s- s- wallowing in my, in my mind blowedness. And, uh, you know, I get up to the counter, slap down my passport and it's like, excuse me, miss, uh, I would like a reentry permit. I know my passport is expired, but uh, I'm hoping that's not a problem. Um, And there was a problem, right? So she was like, she like sucked her teeth and was like, oh yeah, about that. Instead of giving you a reentry permit, I'm going to have to ask you to go to like interrogation room number 12. Uh, (laughs) And I go there and then there's this like good cop, bad cop immigration officer waiting for me. Um, And you know, one of them, and then they like explain what the uh, appeals process is for a thing like this. They're like, well, you're getting deported. Now, you could either take the easy way out or the hard way out. right? The easy way out is you just accept your deportation. You leave. You can come back in a year if you choose. Um, The alternative is that you appeal the process. The appeal process takes several months during which you cannot work, Uh. and after which, uh, you will be permitted to stay if uh, your appeal goes through. But if your appeal is denied, you have to leave the country for five years. Now, at this point, I had been like, I'd spent what, like a decade of my life studying Japanese and I was working in Japan and I was, uh, and so I was wary about like getting banned for five years. Right. Like that, that would be a long time. Um, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's like, well, like, do I want to stay though? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, and, and, uh. So I I weighed the option. I'm like, all right, cool. I guess I'm getting fired from my job, and I'm just gonna pop out of Japan for a year. I'll go back to New York. You know, I'll try and find a programming job, and then you know, after my year of deportation is up, I'll just pop right back to Japan. Um, and so uh, you know, I, I accepted it and went back to my job, um, and got fired, and <laughs> uh, got on a plane over to New York. Uh, to, like, say, like, hey, mom, I'm deported. Uh, (laughs) And then I I started looking for work uh, here. I ended up working at a a tech startup in the city. (laughs) Um, Oh, right. And so you you had asked about, like, between that and Facebook. Yeah, sure. So I started working for a tech startup in the city and then... um, yeah, I wanted to go to grad school for some reason because, like earlier, we had talked about like what a real programmer is uh-huh, and stuff like that. Uh-huh, right. And I guess I had some hangups back then about being a real programmer because I never studied computer science or anything like this. Um, so I wanted to go to grad school. I was like, Oh, I'll go to grad school for computer science, of course. And where else to go? But you know, the University of Tokyo back in in Japan. <laughs> um, luckily, the application process takes a year, and I so ha- like it just so happens that a year from now I will be able to re-enter the country. So uh, it all works out perfectly. I was like, oh, man, I'm so on top of things. Wow. Um, so I, I worked at this tech startup in, uh, in New York, always thinking that like in a year from that, then I'll go back and work in Japan. And sure enough, like I happened, to, I got accepted to this uh, grad school program. And I was like, OK, cool. And um, what sucks, though, is that like my year in New York was awesome, right? Like <laughs> what I, sucks I is it was awesome, <laughs> right? Um, I can't tell you the amazement I felt like the first day that my first week at uh, this startup in New York, when on Friday, people started clearing out of the office at like 4 p.m. Uh, there was like a hap- This was one of those startups where they had like a happy hour, right? So they would bust out beers at like 4 p.m. on Friday. And then people started trickling out at like four thirty, And I thought to myself, like, are you kidding me? It's not even not even half of the day is done. Like, what about like working until midnight? What about the weekend? Are we not going to work on the weekend? So like, it, it just blew my mind. And, and then, you know, um, I started becoming friends with my coworkers and like, they're so, such great people. And like the New York tech scene is awesome. And, and I, I just loved it. I loved it to death. And then, you know, uh, a year had passed and I had been accepted to this grad school thing. And I was like, well, I, I you know, I still want to be like a real programmer. I still want to like get a computer science education. But it's gonna be really hard to leave now. So I, I did it anyway. I bit the bullet and I went back to Tokyo to the to computer. Yeah, yeah. It sucked. It sucked so bad. Because so I then being back in Japan, I was like, man, I, I after like now that I know what like working in New York is like, you know, there's so many things about like being and working in Japan that I, I was like, damn, this is not great. Um you know, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I I used to. And then also the, you know, uh, at this new grad school, there's so many things that I didn't know. And like, and so much of it was, um, kind of not really what I had expected it to be, you know, like turns out a lot of this real computer science stuff is not necessarily what I'm interested in. And I think like, you know, it was, it was on me to kind of figure out the difference between programming and computer science. Um, but like, yeah, so I, I didn't really enjoy it. And so after a year, I I quit and I came back to New York. And the reason why is because, oh, right. So right on the day that I was leaving, like the day that I had a flight to JFK was the first time that I got an email from a Facebook recruiter that was like, hey, do you want to join Facebook? And so I replied and like, I mean, I do like that sounds awesome. But, you know, I, I have this grad school thing to ca- take care of. So contact me in, a, in two years time once I'm graduated. Oh, my God. And, uh, six months later, I'm in grad school and hating it. And he contacts me again and it's like, Hey, do you want to, you know, um, work at Facebook? And I was like, ah, man, you know, you didn't, you didn't read my first email. I was, (laughs) I said, contact me in two years, right? This has just been six months. So I was like, no, I'm still in grad school. And then, uh, uh, like after a year of grad school, the same guy contacts me again. He emails me and it's like, Hey, do you want to work at Facebook? But this time, I had been broken down. I was like, I do not want to be in grad school anymore. And I want to go back to New York, like anything. It just I really want to go back to New York. So I was like, yes, I absolutely do want to work at, at Facebook. Um, oh, funny story. I also got an, an email from an Apple recruiter around that time. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I, I would love to work at Apple. That's like amazing. And they never responded to me. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, the Facebook recruiter at least responded to me. So, like, I was like, oh, cool. And we set up an interview and everything. And they, they flew me out for interviews in New York. And, it, you know, um, I'd used my usual strategy, right? They were like, when is the earliest you can come interview at Facebook? And I was like, two months from now. <laughs> um, I, or I think it was several weeks. Um, and uh, so, both of my phone screens, I put like as much, like several weeks' time in between. And then the on site interview, I put a bunch of weeks in before. Um, and the entire time I was just like studying for the facebook interview process which I, I don't know like um if you've ever heard about but like these big tech companies like cracking
0: that, the cracking the coding interview that kind of stuff
1: exactly yeah like you know they they like to quiz you on all sorts of stuff that's completely irrelevant so um i uh i studied all of those irrelevant things because i really wanted the job at, at facebook so i was like i bought a whiteboard and i bought uh that book and i would just study because like you know what was i doing i i, I uh I had grad school, but I was confident that I wanted to leave, so I just didn't go to my classes anymore, and I just studied for these interviews.
0: So did you end up getting that um, job at Facebook, and that's how, you know, since you've been at Facebook the whole time, like, it started with that that job?
1: That's right, yeah. When Uh, was that? man, best place
0: ever. Um,
1: (laughs) Nice. That was, uh, so, let's see, 2014. 2014 in uh, July.
0: Okay so you did that uh, it was like a computer science graduate program Mm -hmm. in japan okay so you did that for about a year um when you moved when you got deported and you started working at that tech company you were doing ios development that's right yeah and then you did an ios development for a year and then you did the graduate program um were you like still sort of involved in ios development while you were doing the graduate program
1: yeah um Unfortunately, like like you said, uh, we we had mentioned earlier. Like I just have way too many side projects. So during that year in grad school, what I really should have been doing was focusing on grad school stuff. Uh, But instead, like I distracted myself with a bunch of you know iPhone stuff. So I'd make like iPhone. That was right around the time that uh like Swift came out too. So you know I jumped right on that and I you know started creating stuff in Swift and I would talk about it at meetups and and all this while
0: you're in Japan. Yeah. While you're in grad school, Swift comes out. Oh, wow. Okay, so you joined Facebook, like, in maybe the fall of 2014.
1: Uh, yeah, I, so, right. I joined Facebook. I, I just want to make sure I have the timeline correct. Uh, I joined Facebook in July, on July 22nd, 2014. I remember the date because it, like, changed my life. But oh, okay. um, And I think Swift came out uh, June, 2014. in June of 2014. Yeah, so... Wow. Um, you know, there was that. And then before Swift came out, I was just, you know, creating pods and frameworks and stuff like that and, you know, putting them on GitHub. Really stuff that my advisor at graduate school did not give one right. like, sliver of care about. He, he was like, you should just, you know, actually be good at computer science. And I was like, that's a good suggestion, sir.
0: <laughs> well, um, OK, I want to get into like your actual um you know your work and i want to talk about your work with swift compilers and these types of things i also want to mm-hmm. take a quick uh, break for um like a little announcement but before i do that <clears throat> i want to do two things um first off thank you to that recruiter for reaching out to you three times charles, charles Nguyen, facebook the best charles who charles newton
1: he's, uh, he's a great Nguyen.
0: guy thank you so much charles for doing that um, and the second thing is I have to ask, I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, why Japan? Why Japanese?
1: Yeah. Um, there's a great, uh, do you know the satirical newspaper, The Onion?
0: Uh, yeah, I've heard of it.
1: Yeah. So it has a, a great headline in it that's like, um, studies show or like census reports that uh, 92% of Japanese native Japanese speakers are white men in their twenties. Um, <laughs> And I, I like, it's, it was just kind of a thing at the time, right? Like there was the, there were all, there were all these anime that they were playing on TV in the U S there was, manga was becoming a huge thing. And now, nowadays, like people, uh, I think young people always go through a manga phase. Um, so or like Pokemon. Was, yeah, exactly. Like Pokemon was a cultural phenomenon, right? So like, I think that really primed me for like wanting to learn more about it and know more about it. And then, uh, the kind of the pursuit of this thing. It was like the first time in my life that I felt like uh, learning was fun, you know? Like I'd been to primary school the entire, for so many years of my life, and it, it's just kind of like sucks the life out of you.
0: So what are your uh, friends and family saying? Like, okay, guys, I'm going to go study Japanese literature. Okay, guys, I'm <laughs> going to go move to Japan and work as a translator. Um, and then... And then it's like, okay, guys, I'm going to throw all that away and become a programmer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, so like my parents thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. And, you know, they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. Like, you know, my dad brought up from from day one, like, what are the career prospects of a Japanese major? And I'll tell you, they are very, very slim.
0: Is that Uh, what you told him?
1: No, no, I'm I'm telling you now. Uh, at the time, you know, being what was it, seventeen? I I thought, of course, I know way better than this old man, right? Like, I'll I'll show you, right? No, I was wrong. Uh, there is, you can be like one of two professions with a Japanese major. I mean, like, not that you should go to school. Like, I I definitely think that going to school is all about learning the, the things that that you enjoy, right? Like enjoying learning, but. You know, it's, uh, it, was, it was rough trying to find a job. Um, and then so, yeah, like huge opposition from my parents when I first started getting into Japanese uh, at college. You know, you know, in the Japanese literature department, there obviously was not very much opposition to learning Japanese and a lot of encouragement. Uh, I really enjoyed my time in college. And then, uh, let's see, what did my friends think when I started getting into programming? Oh, well, I mean... Um, it actually wasn't uh, too radical because you know my I talked to my roommate former roommate and he was like oh yes finally like I wanted to get you into programming back when we were in college and and so uh, it wasn't it wasn't that crazy also I think people were just kind of hoping that I would get a job
0: so <laughs> what did your dad want you to do uh, if you ever do you remember him like you know saying you should be a lawyer or a doctor or something uh, I'm sure no matter what
1: I do my dad would not be proud of me so. Uh, what did he want me to do? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what that guy thinks.
0: Okay. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really important for people to, you know, see that like, you know, I always wanted to do this or I had no idea I wanted to do this. And, you know, at the time the people that cared about me, said this, you know, they, they, they didn't want me to do it. And, you know, this is what I, what I told them. Um, and yeah, because I think there's people out there that are going through something like that right now. Uh, it's pretty interesting, like the responses that, uh, that we hear. Okay. Yeah, so, absolutely. uh, what I want to do now is take a quick break, um, to do, uh, a little sort of like announcements, um, in a way, uh, the first is one second, let me pull this up. Uh, real quick, um, definitely, if you're interested, have a listen to the uh, Learn Swift podcast and Fireside Swift. We've talked about it before the last couple episodes, uh, so I just wanted to give a shout-out to um, Stephen Berard, Zach Falgu, and Stephen uh, Sherry for their hard work on those podcasts. Um, and the next thing I want to do is, uh, I guess you can call it like an ask, uh, ask Garrick I don't know. I've never really done this before, but I mean, I do get emails and Twitter messages and things like this all the time. Um, so today, I thought I would share this uh, email from Riley in Arizona. Uh, uh, Riley asks a couple questions, and I think it'd be cool for um, for Brian and I to answer these for Riley. The first question. Uh, And and actually a little bit of background. So Riley, uh, his whole family is, you know, they're teachers. He um, was supposed to be a teacher as well. I think he he went to school to be a teacher, did like a master's in language design and learning or something like that. Uh, Realized it wasn't for him, and uh, now he's getting into programming. Uh, So good for you, Riley, for um, being honest with yourself and going after um, what you want. Uh, First question is, what coding language do you think I should learn first and or would be uh, most ideal for finding a job? So uh, I'm really biased when it comes to this question, Riley. I would say learn Swift, but ultimately I think it depends on like what you want to do. So if you want, just want to find a job, then maybe go online and find out um, you know what, what languages people are hiring most for. Or if you want to make an iPhone app, then I would say learn Swift. What are your thoughts on that question, Brian?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're talking to a guy who chose his first programming language based on the fact that the name sounded cool, Um, Python, (laughs) right? Like, what's cooler than that? Uh, So I'm biased. I think that, like, choosing the language that you're most excited to learn is probably the thing that would serve you the best. Um, But uh, the, the other question of, like, what language is most lucrative to learn right now, you know, which I think it's important to identify it as a different question, right? Like what Riley wants to learn is what Riley wants to learn. And like, I, th- I, personally in my life, uh, just the, the enthusiasm for learning has been the number one thing, right? Like I can't learn things and I'm not enthusiastic to learn regardless. Yeah, and of more how valuable good reasons there are.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly. maybe more valuable in the end.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but then the separate question of, you know, which, Programming language can make you the most money in the least amount of time uh, is an interesting one, and I, or I ideal
0: think, for finding a job. It says ideal for finding a job.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I, I I agree that Swift is actually a pretty good one for that because you know there are a lot of people who want to hire uh, iOS developers, and Swift is one of the primary languages used in iOS development.
0: Right on. Uh, I will point out really quick, I'm assuming that there are other people out there in the world like Riley that have these same questions. That's why I think it's valuable to answer these um, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Second, uh, second question, what parts of all coding languages are consistent? I know they all use different languages, um, but are the foundations of coding that I'm learning with Swift going to be consistent with other languages like Java and Brian's favorite language, Python, etc.?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I think is is true. Right. Like the fundamentals pretty much never change. Um, And then the more you learn, the more uh, you see the same patterns or ideas reflected in different places.
0: Yeah, and like so for the first uh, question, for the second part, um, the answer is yes, I would agree. And then the first part is like, what parts of all coding languages are consistent? And I feel like for me, I um, watched this um, Foundations of Programming course with Sam and Allardyce on Lynda.com, and it used JavaScript in a web browser, but like the fa- the foundations were the same, like um, like array and string and uh, dictionary and if statements, like control flow, and these types of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure uh, we could find a language or two that's like, oh, this does this language doesn't have an if statement. Um, actually, I, I guess we wouldn't be able to find that. But yeah, the 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 fundamentals really are, I think, very, very similar. And, and I think um, there's this interesting idea in tech culture that you can learn the wrong thing that you can accidentally like. You know, oh, you started your first language was Python, which is like an imperative programming language, and now you're ruined because you really should have started with a functional programming language and then your brain would think in a different way. And I think that's just complete BS, to be honest. Um I, I don't think there's there's ever a bad way to learn. So
0: All right. Question number three is, is there a network of coders or people in the same situation as me, self-teaching in Phoenix, that connect at times to ask questions and share projects or code? And I would say that there probably is. And if there isn't, you can create one, uh, which segues nicely into uh, something I want to start talking about again, which is the Learn Swift uh, City um, effort that we're doing at Swift Coders which is helping people start learn swift meetups in their hometown so i would go on meetup.com see if there are swift uh, meetups or ios developer meetups or any kind of programming meetups in phoenix which i'm sure there are um, and go to those and if there uh, is not one that caters to your um, desires start one and i can help you start learn swift phoenix um, if you want just uh, reach out to me what are your thoughts on uh, on that brian
1: yeah that sounds like a great idea i mean
0: yeah, stuff. there you you heard it there first, Riley from from <laughs> Brian. It sounds like a good idea. Oh man, I love it. I love it. All right, Riley. I hope that helps. And uh, yeah, thank you for participating in that, Brian. Yeah, no worries. Okay, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Um, I'm not. If this is the meat and potatoes, I don't know what the other stuff was. Maybe like milkshake. I don't know. Okay, um, so I want to talk about. Uh, well, there's a bunch of things we can talk about, like your work at um, Facebook and LVM. Um, we can talk about um, you know, you know, you added an Android target to Swift, your work with uh, Swift Core Libs XE test, you know, quick. Um, but what I really want to focus on first is uh, your work on the Swift compiler and your personal interests. And actually, if you don't mind, I want to read a little bit about uh, like what you wrote as sort of a jumping-off point. Um, when you, um, I had you write, I kind of fill out a questionnaire. You wrote um, something of, which I think is really beautiful. If you don't mind, sure. Um, so you is. wrote uh, um, like I think I, the question was like, what do you want to talk about and uh, related to Swift? And you wrote, I'd personally like to talk about the Swift compiler project. Developers at Apple are very welcoming and eager to share their knowledge, so there's a lot of room for free advice and mentorship. On the other hand, it's a large complex project, and so many new contributors become frustrated with build errors, or the time it takes to build the project, or even by the sheer amount of code they need to understand. I think many people would agree that learning more about how the Swift compiler works would benefit them professionally, but how can they face these challenges effectively? If you've been interested in learning more about the Swift compiler, I'd love to talk about that um, and about your motivations and experiences around it. Um, did I? Did you? I think you're speaking to me. Did you download the source code? Did you try to build it? Um, yeah. So yeah. I think that was really, really awesome. And there's a lot of things in there. So I'll kind of just let you maybe take it from here.
1: Oh no. So actually, I was curious. Um, you know, have you ever thought about working on it or, or you know, yeah. tinkering around with it?
0: Yeah, so I actually have, um, I got a PR merged into the Swift compiler with the help of Robert Widman and Michael Ilsman
1: That is awesome. What was it?
0: Uh, I don't remember the PR number. I could pull it up, but essentially um, optional closures are escaping by default, and so you don't need the at escaping attribute. Um, uh-huh. Uh, in a fun- function declaration when the closure is uh, marked as optional. And the, um, the compiler throws an error and the error says um, at escaping attribute um, p- applies only to function types and a, an optional closure, I guess, is not a function type, which is really interesting. And so I thought like, well, what does that mean? I found out and I thought like, well, let's add a note that says, um, you know, optional closures are escaping or already escaping awesome. or escaping by default. So we added that note and then I also added a fix it to remove the uh, escaping attribute.
1: That is really cool. Yeah, that's sweet. See, like and, and just imagining like I don't know if this motivates you, but just imagining like everyone who uses Swift from now on. Right. Like in the whenever it ships in the latest version of Xcode. Is gonna get your diagnostic and your note and your uh, your fix it right that that and they'll like their lives will be a little easier. You just made like all these Swift users' lives a little better.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so I feel like um, the compiler. I love the Swift compiler. Like the Swift compiler is my friend. I feel like I can learn about the language through the Swift compiler, like by making mistakes and listening to the compiler. Um, and so yeah, I want to make the compiler better, and I also feel like. Um, because Swift is open source you can't really complain that much about the language like if there's something you don't like about the language fix it or ha- or start a conversation about what you don't like and let's fix it
1: yeah so I, I think that's interesting um, the, the I guess uh, something related to that is is so when you had this um, you encountered some like difficulty right you, you had a complaint about the Swift compiler it's like oh this error message is really confusing uh, yeah so exactly didn't I didn't understand it fix it, it. Um, did you have any difficulty like going from knowing like the stage at which you know that you want to fix something or improve it to the point that you actually did like get that PR merged?
0: Right. So yes and, and no. Um, so I had already wanted to like learn, I, I love Swift, so I want to learn everything there is about, about Swift, you know, what can I do with the language and how can I be involved in the language? So I already tried, uh, to download the source and build it. Um, and there's really great, you know, uh, people that help with that, like, um, Rush Bishop, um, Jesse Squires, Mm -hmm. Ayaka. And so I had tried before, um, and I, and I went on the JIRA board and I tried to like pick a ticket, but I just was like, okay, I don't know what to do. Um, because I I didn't understand the ticket, but, but because I had something that I wanted to fix that I I knew what the end result should look like, then it was like Mm -hmm. easier for me to understand. And then. So that was like one step because before I had already tried to like download the source and it was like really hard. Um, But then what made it really easy, and you mentioned this about Apple developers and mentors, was I just went to Twitter and I said, like, what does this mean? And I I, I tagged a couple people and they explained it to me. And then I said, well, what if we did something better? And they said, go for it, make a bug, make a ticket. And I created a ticket and they're like, do you want to fix it? Um, I think actually Greg Heo was like, if you don't claim it, I will. And so he motivated me to like, grab it and assign it to, my, to myself before um, you know, he did because like, he was excited to fix it. Um, so that's sort of like the beginning part, which, which what I mean to say is I didn't have trouble because like, I wanted to fix something that I knew, you know, I knew what I wanted to make better and then people on Twitter, Apple developers, et cetera, made it very easy.
1: Yeah. 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 And so um, that's actually brings up two points that uh, that I think were super interesting. Right. So uh, first, when you were talking about like the fact that you knew that you wanted to get involved somehow, like you wanted to make some sort of change, uh, but you didn't know where to start. So you looked at starter bugs and then um, and there, there are on the Swift Jira. uh, There are tasks filed like and they have labels that say like, oh, this is good for beginners. It's marked starter bug. Um, And but you know that not all of them are super clear, right? Like, wouldn't it right. have been great if, like, at that point when you were interested, wouldn't it have been awesome if you went to a starter bug and it and it explained, like, this is this is where it is now, this is the problem, and this is the end state. Like at the end, what we want to see is this. And I think ideally, those starter bugs would be like that. They would be, you know, um, written in such a way that, you know, even if you had never really. Encountered that particular bug before, you could read it and be like, "Oh, okay, I understand what's going on, and I think I can do this." And I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. Um, and uh, like, that's I think a really important thing, and and uh, a lot of people could get involved more if there were there better better bugs like these. And I I try to write some of them. Um, Jesse Squires tries to pick some of those good ones up and like feature them on Swift Weekly. And I think it's something that like we could put more work into. Um, the second thing that I thought was interesting was that when you said that you had uh, a question, you like hopped on Twitter, which is really awesome, right? And like, yeah, the Apple developers these days are so cool. They just hang out on Twitter and they can answer all these questions and it's it's awesome. Like I couldn't have imagined something like this uh, even like three, four years ago. Uh, at the same time, you know, the Twitter is not is not as great for everyone as it is for, Maybe you and I, right? Like, uh, Twitter is hard to use for some people. It's not exactly it easy to tweet at some of these people, and you know, some people have are shyer and they they don't know whether it's all right to ask a question. And I think that's another thing that that could be improved too, right? Like, um, I, I know there's talk about moving Swift Evolution, and I don't know about other Swift uh, related mailing lists onto discourse, right? But like, yeah, right. a forum like that I think would be easier for a lot of people to use and. And maybe they could, they could have their questions, their lightweight questions, just kind of curiosity answered that way. Um, but it, both of these things are, are su- just super interesting to me, and I'm glad that you brought them up.
0: So I want to take a, just a quick step back and just point out that um, Brian ha- is like now sort of a, like officially um, interested in the Swift compiler development and helping other people come on board As um, Swift compiler committers as well, you are writing uh, articles. um, For instance, like the Getting Started with Swift Compiler Development article you wrote on your uh, website, Motocache, I hope I'm saying that right. Io. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like your your you know we can tell from what you're saying now that you're very interested. But I want to put this out there, like that you are. This is what you're sort of taking on as one of your side projects now is like hoping. Yeah, yeah, because people- I had a
1: very similar experience to you when I when I knew that I was interested in it and I wanted to get started. Uh, and I would I also looked through the some of the starter bugs and had similar experiences where I was like, Oh well, you know, I don't really know what this means and I don't know how to start. And so, you know, what do I do from there? And I think I think a lot of people at that point uh, whether it's that point or whether they try to build the project and then it doesn't compile and, and they give up there. Um, I think those are the, the two big drop off points for potential new uh, contributors. And I think what's unfortunate is that sometimes people encounter those problems and they, and they think, Oh, I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm not up to this task or whatever. And like I, the same thing happened to me countless times before Swift with LVM, I would, I'd go and I'd try to understand even what a bug was talking about, right? Like, it, it's all just gobbledygook to me. And, it was, and, 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 um, and I, I was like, oh, well, I'm not good enough to know this thing. Uh, but I, th- I think that's kind of like a shame, right? Like It would be awesome if there were if there was resources out there that were that just kind of explained some of the stuff. And I'm hoping that like by writing about it, uh, you know, it'll be the kind of the kind of resource that I would have wanted, you know, a couple of years ago when I was first starting out you know, where I I have plans for some articles where it's gonna be like, okay, here's a starter bug, right? Like starter bug 947 or whatever, it says this. And step one, like, what does that mean? And like, here's how we can find out. And step two, like, oh, it probably means this. How can we like confirm that this is still a problem? Let's run through these steps and confirm it. And then like, okay, well now that we know that it's still a problem, let's modify the compiler so that it isn't a problem. Uh, let's fix that problem. And then, you know, I'm hoping to to write more st- things like that. Um, which I did on a few of the starter bugs that I picked up from the Swift project. Um, like, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, send you some links maybe later, but like when I was first starting out working on the Swift compiler, I was, I didn't really know what to work on, but I, I just picked up a couple of bugs and then I just posted really long. <laughs> uh, I apologize to all the like, uh, Swift people at Apple, because like I would post these like essays about like, well, first I, I grepped for this and I found this string in the source code. So I was like, that sounds interesting. And I tried looking at where that string was used and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which I think would be really useful, um, to people just starting out as like, Oh, this is how real human beings who work on Swift, you know, actually get any work done. Um, but I, you know, it's, so I, I, I thought it would be cool to recreate some of that content. Um, and so you know, I'm just plugging away in my free time and one another side project for me, trying to write this stuff.
0: Okay, so I think that there are a lot of um, topics related to, um, to like you know, being a Swift compiler, you know, Swift compiler development. Let's say, um, and it, I'm just so happy to you know find out that there is now, you know, you're sort of self-proclaiming in a way, like you're you know, as like you or you're being, you're going to be the person to like help people get started. You know, as I mentioned before, you, you, we've had people like Russ Bishop, Jesse Ayaka, from um, outside of Apple, to sort of help people with this. But it sounds like you're taking it a step further, and you're, you're focusing um, the, the work that you do on like doing, you know, Swift compiler development. and That's great. Um, and so I think it's it'll be cool to talk about like just a few things. So we're, we've sort of said if one of the major components is, like, onboarding more people. Um, onboarding more people to help with the Swift um, open source project. Um, and I think it's kind of obvious why that's a good thing. So I don't know if there's any, like, thing we need to mention on that, unless there's, like, a certain point you want to make. Um, yeah, but I think mean,
1: it, it benefits the language for sure. Um, And, uh, but I, I've always viewed it as as slightly differently. I like the, the contributing to Swift really is something that could benefit the contributors. Um, Uh because because I think it's important to be a little selfish in, uh, in open source work, right? Like, um, because it's, it's, you're not being paid to work, right? Like you're just, you're doing stuff for free. And I think it's, it's important to. Uh, as a result, be very, very clear with yourself about what it is that you are getting out of it. Right. So for me personally, it's like um, I don't want to work through my nights and weekends uh, because I feel like the Swift project wouldn't do very well without me. Right. Like obviously that's not true. Apple puts billions of dollars, well, not billions into Swift itself. But Apple is a very well funded company so they can take care of their own programming language. But I think more than that, it's it's about the fact that, like, here is this great project with Apple employees who are basically being paid to steward this open source project, and as a result, are being paid to teach you and I about it, right? Like, to if we have questions, they part of their job is answering those questions. So why not take advantage of that? Why not, like, great, this is a, a place where I can get free advice and, like, learn about a compiler for free, which is... You know, not something that's very common. I mean, Facebook pays me to work on compilers now, but I didn't think this was possible really up until a few months ago when I talked to some manager at Facebook. And I think part of the reason why I was able to, you know, talk to that manager was because he had seen like, oh, well, I can tell from all the stuff that you do like in your free time that you're interested in compilers. And it's like, yeah, I am. Um, But I, you know, it part of, I, I actually should be really grateful to Apple and to all the people who work on the Swift compiler because I, wouldn't be here working on this current team if I didn't do that and didn't get their help, really, because I asked them a lot of questions.
0: I think that's really great uh, to point out. I sort of approached it and always thought about it as all of us helping the Swift project together, but there are some very um, direct or indirect benefits of being a Swift um, contributor, and you're saying you get to interface with Apple employees, um, and Swift, um, Apple employees and like learn from them um, and yeah, just be like associated with them. Who knows? Like maybe you, you'll you get a job or out of it. Like I know for instance, um, Swift package manager contributor ended up getting a job at Apple. What was his name? Ankit, um, I think.
1: I don't know if that, I'm pronouncing
0: that correctly, but Ankit Argawal,
1: I think. Yeah, Argawal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was really cool.
0: So, so that's interesting. Okay, so there are these benefits. Then I think one thing, um, so if the idea is to get um, more and more people to help with this awesome project, and if we start off sort of assuming that it is kind of hard to get up and running um, for most people, because a lot of people that are coming to Swift are first-time programmers, um, you know, new to programming. Um, So it's sort of, and maybe even for anybody, like if they've been programming their whole life, maybe it's hard for them too. So if we start off by saying it's kind of hard, then what are all the things that we could do to make it easier? And like, what's the low hanging fruit? And uh, for me, and and so you sort of pointed out a couple, which is like making it easier for people to like feel comfortable that they can like reach out to the people who know. So Mm -hmm. whether that's like Twitter or discourse, Um, and um, then... I think, like, a huge one, you mentioned it, too, is, like, the starter bugs, uh, making it more clear on, like, uh, you know, how to get started. And then one, I think, is, like, build times and, like, just downloading the source and, like, that whole struggle. Because, like, honestly, I could not have done it without yeah. Robert, who literally, he does it every day. And so he knows, like, oh, the, the compiler or the output is saying, like, this. And he's like, oh, you got to update Xcode. Or, oh, you got to change this flag. Yep. And like it's that kind of stuff. So yeah, what are absolutely. your thoughts What are your thoughts oh, on that one?
1: That is a tricky one. Um, really like uh, it, it's something that affects every Swift contributor. It's, it's not just uh, people who are new to the project, but also you know every Apple employee who works on Swift is compiling it you know maybe uh, I don't know, I want to say at least once a week. Um, but you know depending on how often they pull down changes, they may be compiling it every day se- several times a day. Um, and yeah, it takes a long time to compile the thing. So uh, this is, I think, the area where really new contributors have the most to learn from uh, experienced contributors. And I, in, in this category, I wouldn't call myself very experienced at all, right? Like I would love to sit down with uh, someone who's experienced at uh, working on LLVM, someone who is effective in that, in that code base, and I would love to get their tips and tricks because it's like, okay, so how do I even like, I know that the problem is in this part of the code base roughly, how do I start trying to find it? And like, how do I cut down on the amount of time that it takes me to compile the project and all this stuff? This is like really basic stuff that I think, um, is, is sometimes overlooked, right? Like you'll have, you'll read a a book. There are books on compilers, right? And none of them will tell you, well, okay, how do I, (laughs) how do I build this in under two minutes? Right. Um, and and so it's tricky. I was hoping to do a, li- a few more articles myself on, on that sort of thing, um, because it's the first few articles that I've been writing on the Swift compiler have been dealing with the uh, build system. So, literally, the thing that that uh, you know is invoked in order to compile the project. And so I was hoping to like kind of tie off that series of articles with um, some tips and tricks, right? Like, oh, you can uh, compile with you can compile the project with this flag, and it's like slightly faster. If, like, these conditions are met, then you can compile this way, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but everybody has their own preferences, right? So it's not, like, there's no single answer. Uh, for example, I don't use Xcode when working on Swift. Um, I know that I, I was certainly used to using Xcode for every single software project that I'd worked on up until that point. Um, so it was kind of a leap for me, but, the it, like, building the Swift project with Xcode takes longer than building it with, Uh, with ninja the other another option Um, just from
0: like the command line
1: yeah exactly so building from the command line is faster um and so i chose to do that and use something else as my editor and and that's like a personal choice that i made not every apple contributor will agree with that Um, but i think like sharing those tips and tricks is something that is useful for new newcomers but you know in moderation right because like Imagine you you want to get started with Swift and then like 18 different people are like, well, you should use Xcode. No, you shouldn't. You should use Vim. You should use Emacs. And like you should build from the command line. No, you should do that, do it this way. It's it's tricky. Um, you know, and then I've seen people read write the uh, Swift readme to make it clearer to people, newcomers. But then sometimes the rewrites uh, you end up with an even longer readme. So it's like, okay, well, there's more for newcomers to read, and it's like that's tricky too right like it's it's all trade-offs so it's it's hard to say um but it, it's complicated i think like you know it, it's worth a lot of good people working on the problem because uh um there's a, a huge opportunity here right like the people can come and by contributing to this problem project really change their careers
0: a uh, quick aside did you say that you sometimes need help um, understanding more about the llvm compiler Yeah, absolutely.
1: That's like what I work on right now. And so like, and I'm completely new to it. Right. So I wouldn't, I don't know most of the, it's just a sea of unknowns for me. And like the little island of things that I know is, is so tiny.
0: So what are, where, where do you go to find that information or are you reaching out to certain people? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Um, I am really shy. (laughs) So uh, there there is an LVM uh, chat room like on IRC, and uh, I tend to be intimidated by everybody in there. Uh, So I don't really ask things there. I ask uh, teammates sometimes. I tweet questions sometimes. Uh, A lot of the time I will just look into it myself uh, for hours and hours and hours, and then realize, hey, this is really dumb. I should just ask somebody a question. It's something I'm working on. I, I really should ask more questions.
0: Well, if uh, if Chris Latner's listening, um, Brian uh, needs some help with LVM. I know you're pretty busy at <laughs> Google right now. Maybe uh, maybe you can ask uh, one of the LVM experts to reach out to Brian. Oh,
1: you know, I really should mention, um, like, because uh, you mentioned his name earlier, but Michael Ilsman. Uh, yeah.
0: He's Shout awesome. out to Michael. Love you.
1: Yeah, man. He is so great. Like, you know, because I asked, I literally asked him, I was like, hey, uh, I know nothing about this. I want to know something about this. Can you help me? And then he just like spent an entire afternoon with me, like, you know, shoulder to shoulder kind of looking over this LVM because he has experience working on it. And it's it's like, who does that? It's so fantastic.
0: Yeah, he really is great. And as I said, uh, he and uh, Robert really helped me um, a lot. Uh, yeah. So, is there work that we can do to make the um, build faster, like if we or easier? Like if we say that's a big hurdle, is that low hanging fruit or is that high hanging fruit? Like, what can we do to to ease the pain there?
1: Yeah, number one, I would say, uh, you know, there's there's a certain amount of documentation at play, right? For example, um, I mainly work on the Swift compiler itself, not the Swift standard library, right? So. Like you, you, for example, mentioned adding a new diagnostic. That's something that exists in the compiler, which is a, an executable. It's just a, a program that has a, a start, like a main function. And then eventually it returns an exit code of 0 or 1 or whatever. Um, so I can compile, you and I can compile with uh, s- like certain commands just that part which takes much less time than compiling the entire Swift project, which includes the Swift standard library, which is like the, the part of the code base that defines like the map and the flat map functions in Swift. Or like
0: string.append substring. Something exactly, like yeah.
1: So like you don't need to compile that stuff because you're working, you're iterating on a different part of the project. If you use um, just the default uh, build, like the build script that's included with the Swift project, you'll end up rebuilding everything when you touch the compiler. Um, and so that's, that takes up a lot of your time, right? So first, there's this element of, of documentation. We should make it really easy for people to know, to understand, like, oh, I'm working on just the runtime. So I want to compile just the runtime. And um, in order to enable that, uh, there's documentation. And then there's also you know actual coding that, that might be might be required. So, for example, the entire Swift build system, which is like what I've been writing about on my site for a couple of weeks now, is defined in like CMake, right? So, depending on how you write that CMake code to describe how the Swift project should be built, you, you know, you can make it possible to compile just little parts of it. Or you could write the CMake in sort of a haphazard way, in which case, like, you have no choice but to compile the uh, entire project. So, like, if more people spent more time thinking about the CMake in, in Apple Swift and kind of modifying it for their needs, like, oh, I want to compile it with just this, I want to compile just, you know, the driver, I want to compile just the standard library, then we can we can uh, kind of shave off build times. Um, and then b- beyond that, it's. Uh, yeah, how to make things compile fast. It's a it's a huge uh, area with with tons of stuff. And then I'm not sure how much low hanging fruit there is there, um, but it's worth something. It's something worth looking into, right? I think a lot of people uh, work on the Swift standard library and runtime, and so I wonder if there's a way to. I wonder if there's any inefficiencies that are in there in the, like the CMake code about compiling those things. I don't know any off the top of my head, but you know enough eyes on the project and maybe people can find some stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, if anything, the Swift engineers that are working on it every day full time, they're probably already kind of thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't it be really nice for you
1: and I to go back and actually give something back to Michael, you know, after he helped us out so much to like go back and be like, well, Michael, we've made your life a little easier.
0: Um, Yeah. But who knows maybe because, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, that would be great.
0: Oh, uh, so maybe because they keep their sort of Swift build like workstation kind of maintained, it's not that much of a struggle. It's more of like an onboarding Band-Aid like that. They just had to rip off once. And then because they go to work every day working on Swift, like it's not as painful. Um, not and so, so sure. maybe they're not. Because no? okay.
1: um, Apple engineers, you know, they get, uh, you know, they get the hardware that Apple gives them. And that hardware is uh, at least from what I've heard, right? Like I'd never worked at Apple, so I, I don't know and don't take this on. Just take this as a rumor. But I, you know, I hear that they have refurbished Apple computers as their main computers. So I, I don't think it's the case that they're necessarily using hardware that's much faster than ours. Um, and also, the there are things in the in the compiler where it's like, yeah, you're going to touch if you modify like a really base file that's a dependency of the in, the rest of the project. Then everything has to get rebuilt. And that's a pain point that they feel just as much as us.
0: So going back to the the CMake thing, like let's say you are, right now, you are just um, contributing something to the compiler, like a diagnostic. You're saying that there is a command, um, maybe not an Xcode, but from the command line where you can just build that part of the compiler? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So there's, uh, you know, you can either do it by invoking cmake directly, which is what the the Swift build script does. Or uh, like a lot of these options have been uh, added to the build script itself. So if you invoke build script and you pass like dash dash, you know, build Swift dynamic stdlib equals zero, then you don't build the dynamic libraries for the standard library. Now there's the full invocation To not build anything but the compiler is much longer, right? Because you pass like four or five of these options to disable the performance testing suite, to disable the tests in general, to disable this dynamic standard lib, the static standard lib, the dynamic SDK overlays, and the static SDK overlays. So it ends up being this long command, but it is possible. It's not something that new contributors know off the top of their heads, right? Like, certainly. What new can what person new to the project would be able to pull this command right out of their head? Nobody. Um, but it is something that like if you if the maintainers of the project, myself included, made it easier to find out about these things, that would be great. And also like through writing about it, I I do hope to make it easier, right? Because like you know the if you don't, I think new contributors to the project mainly they just want to implement a new feature or pick up a starter bug and they don't necessarily think about the way the project is built, but it is the first big hurdle that they all experience. Like most people don't work on apps that take 30 minutes to compile. So, and they have to like, there is a a bit of a, a, learning curve there, not only for just, you know, understanding as a new contributor that, Oh, 30 minutes. Yeah. Sorry. It is kind of standard, but also, um, I mean, if you wanna know the, the biggest hurdle that I had when I first started working at Facebook was psychological, like dealing with that, right? Like the Facebook app is the sort of app that takes uh, uh, 30 minutes to compile at least. Um, so what do you do for 30 minutes, right? Like, And this is the same thing that I deal with every day working on LLVM and, and Swift in my free time is, is like, okay, cool, like how do I stay productive and how do I stay motivated? when I'm waiting for my computer to finish spinning its fans, you know, like, um, and that's something that, that you don't find a lot of, uh, there's no read me in the Swift project for being like, well, the way that I find it stay productive is by doing XYZ or like thinking about whether I need to recompile the Swift uh, project, which is, you know, something that I think is worth talking about.
0: So short term, it sounds like we can just maybe do better at documentation and like letting, um, newcomers know about these certain uh, commands or, or ways to have less of a pain, you know, painful process. Um, yeah. Maybe short term, also like um, doing like different, like maybe sh- um, aliases or I don't know, shortcut commands or, or changing CMake to make so that that really long command is just like a short little command because then it yeah. maybe is a little yeah. easier. Um, but uh, long term, I'm wondering, like, is there anything? Um, that can be done, and like, what could that be? Like, for instance, I'm thinking like, I I can see myself contributing to the Swift compiler and diagnostics because, as I said, I love the compiler, and maybe I'm wrong, but I I feel like that could be a really good uh, first step for for a lot of people. Like, if you're just an iOS developer, or a Swift developer, and you you want to play with the idea of contributing to Swift, like the compiler is a really great way. Um, Absolutely. To, to, to do that. And so maybe we pick like one thing like that and then optimize the process. So for instance, like um, um, g- improving diagnostics, it's pretty much the same across the board. It's just the only thing that's different is where is that diagnostic defined and where is that diagnostic fired? But mm-hmm. other than that, it's all pretty much like the same. Like you have to you know, the way you write the di- uh, define the diagnostic is very the same. The way you fire the diagnostic and the note and the fi- fix it is pretty much the same. You use about the same kind of code, like get loc or get source range or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering, like maybe, and I'm also thinking, like, what if, you know how there's like that server working group? Like, what if we created some sort of, like, contributing working group and, like, we optimize the onboarding process like maybe we just picked one place Uh, i don't know that's a really good idea
1: yeah i would like a a new contributors working group i think is something that would be kind of revolutionary um you know i remember uh lvm has this developers meeting that's held every year um and i remember in the 2016 developers meeting there was a there was a round panel kind of like group discussion um they call them bofs it's short for birds of a feather and so like all the birds of a feather who flock together on the topic of new, how to encourage new contributions to LVM, let's meet up in this room. And like they, they t- discussed it. Um, at that time, LVM didn't even have a starter bug kind of keyword. That's something that I, I actually introduced several months after this, uh, this boff session. Um, so it's like, you know, you're a new contributor, you know that you want to get started on LVM. Where do you even start? That wasn't even very well defined. And then some other ideas that came out of that session, I think were implemented and they're they're trying to make it a little easier, but really Swift is the Swift project is way ahead of the curve on that one. It's all it's there are already so many great things that the Swift project is doing to make it easier for new contributors and to like optimize on that. Like you said, you you have a working group that just kind of like identifies these issues and then tracks their completion or their like them being resolved, I think would be phenomenal. Um, I can already, like, there are already uh, a few that you mentioned, like, um, you know, besides the fact that you can, you know, there is no documentation, necessarily, like, there is no guide to here's how you add a new diagnostic to the Swift compiler. So, um, you know, putting that somewhere and and kind of uh, directing people to that already in and of itself would be a huge improvement. But in addition, you mentioned that, like, okay, well, you add this new diagnostic and then you, I assume that you would recompile the compiler, right?
0: Um, yeah, How, however, so, I don't know, I'd have to ask Robert or go to my notes.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you would make a change to the compiler source code to like emit a new diagnostic and then you would need right. to recompile it. Uh, you know, one very simple thing to do is to, to if we were trying to optimize that experience is, is say, well, let's say we added a new diagnostic to this uh, header file in the Swift project and we rebuild Swift by invoking the build script or by invoking CMake. What takes a lot of time there? what needs to be rebuilt when we add just one, when we make just one change to one header file. And then, you know, we could take a look at that tree of things that's rebuilt. And some of them will make sense, right? Like, oh, I added the diagnostic to swift lib AST, so the AST module needs to be rebuilt. Totally makes sense. Okay. But some of the things won't necessarily make sense. Like you'll add something to lib, Swift Lib AST, and now it's rebuilding the runtime maybe. I don't know off the top of my head. But what I'm saying is you'll see something that it's like, why is this being getting rebuilt? Why are we taking up people's CPU time rebuilding this thing when we know that this diagnostic doesn't have anything to do with that part? And I think that's like another, that sort of investigation is something that's like could yield a lot of benefits, not only for you and I, but also for people like Michael who work on this every day.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that you're um, excited about just hearing about this idea of a uh, contributing uh, working group. I, obviously, you know, they have uh, their priorities and maybe this isn't high up on their list, but it's cool to just get the, the um, sort of discussion started because um, as someone new to programming, like I've always felt like there needs to be, there, there could, we could do a better job. And I've talked about this a lot with um, lots of different developers. Um, one uh, th- like sort of reality that I wanted to mention and get your thoughts on is um, I've always wanted to do a meetup on contributing to Swift, but mm-hmm. can you imagine doing a meetup on contributing to Swift and like waiting for 30 minutes um, <laughs> and like something goes wrong or whatever it is like that reality is, it's an interesting one. And I mean, I guess you could like, do a quick little session, like, okay, this is how we build it. And now let's socialize for 30 minutes while it builds. Right. But, right. um, um,
1: ask people to compile it in advance or if they could, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, high barrier to entry. Um, you know, it shouldn't be, but it is. And, and it's, it's something that I think we can reduce with, uh, by other means. Um, you know, like, building a community that makes it easy for people to first discover that it will take that much time, but also not be uh, discouraged by the fact that it takes that much time. Um, And then also like once people are in that community kind of like, you know, sharing even just like venting with each other, it's like, Oh, it takes so much time to compile. Yeah, it's real uh, boy, It's it's tough. Um, Even that I think is valuable. But in addition, um, you sharing these tips and tricks on how to like reduce the compile times or like to make it as, as not painful as it can be, um, but yeah, there's there's an aspect of it that's just like yeah, the compile times are are not great. Um, I, this is another area that you know, like I said, it would be great to. I would love to talk to an L a frequent LVM committer about this because um, I'm sure there are things that there are ways that I spend my time at work that are kind of um, not very efficient. I'm sure someone who knows a lot about the project who contributes to it every day probably doesn't wait as much of the day for builds as I do.
0: Well, hopefully uh, you can get in touch with somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the meetup thing, I was thinking about like, what if I had like multiple copies of the project? And so I could be like, okay, this is what you do when you build. Okay, now it's built. I'm going to this other like copy of the project. And yeah, now like it's a built. cooking show. You know, like uh,
1: <laughs> we'll put this in the oven. And it just so happens in this other oven, I already have it baked.
0: Exactly, um, yeah. but on on that same um, note, like I, I, I'm wondering, like what else could we do? Like for instance, in your guide, you mentioned using um, a DigitalOcean jo- uh, droplet, but even there, you said it takes two hours to do like a from scratch build. Yeah. Like, isn't yeah. it not is it? Would it be possible to have some sort of like supercomputer that does that? And like I'm I'm imagining, like I want to contribute to the Swift compiler, so I go to this website. And it has like almost like a GUI and it's like, um, okay, this is the diagnostic that's getting fired when I do this, like I write a little bit of like code, like almost in a playground and I'm like, I want to fix that diagnostic and I want it to say this and that and it's all GUI and then I just like enter it and then some supercomputer like runs the test and it's like, okay, that was cool and then I just like do the pull request from from there. Like uh, maybe that's in the future, but is that possible? so
1: uh you had ryan nystrom on the show uh maybe two episodes ago yeah Um, yeah and uh, he talked about this uh facebook tool called buck right that right and and that does a lot of what you're describing in fact uh like it it kind of shares you know if one person has already built the swift project then their build artifacts would be stored on a computer and then when you go to build the swift project Uh, the parts that were already built by some other guy can be downloaded onto your computer and then you would use those instead of like, uh, building them yourself. So if we had some sort of shared build infrastructure for a project like Swift, that would be revolutionary. Um, I honestly, if you set that up, I think Apple should pay you money (laughs) (laughs) because you'd probably benefit a lot of people, um, including people who work on the project itself. Uh, but yeah, that sort of like technical solution to a problem like this, I think, would be something that would be really interesting to look into. The tricky part for contributors like us, right? You and I, we don't get paid to work on the Swift compiler. And you know, we kind of donate our time. To build out an infrastructure like that would require not only donating time but also donating uh storage space and a build server and kind of this this buck daemon that would run on that server or it doesn't have to be buck but you know what i mean we would have to contribute infrastructure as well and that that will hit our pocketbooks and especially as people more and more people use it um then it'll it'll cost us more and more money so that's like a a, a tricky aspect of it it would be interesting um and i've i've uh, yeah, it, it would be fascinating though. That would be a huge improvement in a lot of people's lives, I think.
0: Hypothetically, could we use Buck since um, Swift is like C and C or C and Swift? I mean, or is Buck yeah. only like Objective C and Swift?
1: Huh, I, uh, no, Buck is, is used uh, at Facebook for a C++ project, project. So it would fit the bill. It wouldn't be, um, you know, it wouldn't be painless because uh, so. There are things in the Swift compiler uh, that you may have encountered, um, but I, I know Russ Bishop, who mentioned him earlier, has talked about it before. But there are like special sorts of processing that's done in the Swift compiler. One example is GYB files, right? Um, so there's this like additional step that's run. So the problem with Buck is uh the Swift project is already you described by CMake, right? So CMake, there's CMake code that describes how the Swift project should be built. With buck, you would need to define a buck file, as far as I know, that describes this same thing. And so you would have two implementations of like the build system. And that would be a little tricky. Oh, and
0: Um, is Swift's CMake file like really, really big?
1: Yes, yes. So um, there are hundreds of CMake files uh, between LVM and, uh, Swift and Swift uses LVM. So like the LVM CMake comes into play too. I I posted some sort of stat on, uh, one of my articles recently that was like, that explained exactly how many files there were, but yeah, it's a lot of lines of code. There's tens of thousands of, uh, CMake lines of code in there. Um, so it's, it's a non-trivial effort to define a new way of building the project. I'm not convinced that this is a bad idea though I think it's I think it's actually like you could be onto something. this might be really really amazing. Um, and and I guess the trick would be finding a way to build this I, I don't think necessarily that we should think only about buck but basically finding a way to create this kind of shared object cache for uh, object cache meaning like build product cache for the Swift build products. And then that way, like you and I, when we make a small change, we'll download most of it and then only compile the little tiny bit that we changed. And and so when Facebook introduced Buck into the their build system for for building iOS apps, like it seriously brings down build times of like an hour plus down to just a minute because it, wow. you only compiled the things that you need. So this could, yeah, it could be a game changer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is the type of thing that, Um, Swift engineers would probably, maybe not this exact solution, but um, a a solution to this problem. Um, They would come up with it or someone like you or a combination, you know, a group of people like you who are like contribute a lot to it. Um, and, And, you know, really we're talking about a problem, like we're talking about a solution, but really it's better to focus on like the problem and what are like the best ways to solve that problem. Well, I don't know. I um, mean, this once? sounds
1: like uh, the first major crusade of our uh, of our SWIFT contributing working group. Ooh,
0: ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I like right? it. I'm surprised you haven't done this already, like with Buck. But I guess uh, maybe I'm clearly behind. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> <but> honestly, <laughs> I had not thought of this idea.
1: Uh, you say that you're surprised, but like I think this is like an f- amazing idea. Nice.
0: Yeah. What can I say? I have been known to have a couple yeah. good ideas or two in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I wanted to mention, um, that, uh, Brian has a Patreon page. Do you mind if I mention this? I already oh, yeah, did. Absolutely. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that, uh, where you can go and support, uh, Brian's, uh, work. It sounds like you're going to be doing almost like a Swift talk model, uh, where like some of the, uh, posts, some of the, the blog posts or the writing, is going to be free, and some of it's going to be sub, um, sort of supporter only. Yep. Um, can you just give us like my understanding is that it's going to be about contributing to the Swift sort of compiler, not necessarily just for beginners, though. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, who are you sort of? Um, who's your audience? Is it like just beginners? Is it mix? Yeah. Like, what I'm, the topics I'm, might be about?
1: I perceive my audience to be mostly beginner um, people who have programmed before, but you know, haven't, uh, they don't necessarily know anything about CMake. They don't necessarily know anything about C++ or know a bunch of details about how compilers work. Right. So I I do think it's, it's sort of a square one. Um, it, it, and when read sequentially, I think it works out. Right. So like, you know, I'll introduce what CMake is before I go into a post about like, Oh, here's how the Apple Swift CMake works. Um, so I, I'm hoping that it, it's it reads well, and then you know if if it works out and I, I'm able to like write all the content that I want to about the Swift compiler, maybe I can like put it together into some sort of book or something like that. I, I haven't thought yeah. that far ahead. Yeah, but that could be for great. Me, yeah, I was it, the the Patreon thing is is mostly like you know, it's, it, and we you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about uh, this the uh, new contributors working group, right? Because um, you said that, like, oh, this is the sort of thing that that really like an Apple employee or like Apple employees would work on, and I think that's sort of uh, an interesting distinction, right? Like, there definitely are things in this project where you would think that an Apple employee should work on this. Or somebody who gets like paid to do this should work on it, and I, I think that's uh, that's interesting, right? Because like, you know, on the one hand, I don't know, um, it's yeah, it's uh, it, I have a lot of thoughts about it, and they're not really. Very directed at all. But um, the way that I think of it is, you know, on the weekends, um, what is it that I want to be doing with my life? Right. Like, and what I want to be doing is spending time with people that I enjoy. And like my girlfriend and I, we like to go on walks. So it's like, it'd be great to go on a walk. But then every once in a while, there's also stuff that like, you know, I'm personally kind of interested in. And like working on Swift is one of those things. And, but it takes a long time. It takes a lot of time. Like, even just the build times, you and I know, like, takes like 30 minutes to compile the thing and yeah. then to then go from there and kind of like invest a lot of time into working on like a new contributors working group or kind of investigating build times for the swift project itself to make it easier for people to contribute. That takes up a lot of time. And like yeah. my girlfriend doesn't really get very much out of that. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's not a, a contributing to the swift compiler. So she, like she would rather spend time with me. And, uh, and so like the, the Patreon and and stuff like that, the way that I think of it is, is like, you know, at the very least uh, I can take some of the, the patronage money and like kind of make it up to her. (laughs) Um, It's like, well, you know, I'm sorry that like I spent all this time doing this stuff that, you know, really doesn't have very much to do with us and like, isn't fun for us. Uh, But like, well, we can go on a nice dinner or, you know, once a month or something like that. Um, It's just a, a kind of a nice way to spice things up and, I mentioned, like, really early on in this podcast, like, uh, for new contributors to Swift to not, like, my advice, I guess, is to not become a martyr for the project. Like, don't, once you're at a point where it's like, man, Swift is, like, contributing to Swift takes up a lot of time, and I don't know if I have it in me, and, like, I'm really tired of doing it, then, like, just stop. That's the best time to stop. Because you don't owe anybody anything. And so the Patreon is, is for me, anyway, like, a way of of not feeling like I'm just donating, you know, huge parts of my life, you know, like hours and hours and hours for, for, well, I I would say like for a thank you, but most, most open source work is pretty thankless. So it's, it's, if anything, like, you know, I I don't know if if anybody had feedback on the diagnostic that you sent up, but like sometimes users see things, changes that you make to Swift and they're like, this sucks. Don't do that. Right. Like, you know, please spend more of your time fixing what you just did. And, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I spent a lot of time on making the <laughs> improvement in the first place. And I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's just that like
0: I totally get, I mean, I haven't been working on like a giant project like you, for instance, like your work with quick. Um, but I totally get, it. I see it. You know, um, I see a lot of like people complaining, um, on Apple, you know, and then like when I meet Apple employees now, I then when I see these complaints, like I get offended because like I know people who work at Apple. Yeah. And so I see like what you're saying, like, you know, you put out quick, for instance, and then people are putting in like bug requests or feature requests. Yeah, which is um, great.
1: And that's like it that's is, awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad that people report issues and I'm glad when people try to fix issues. And, and it, there's no reason that like if the a person has a problem with it, that they shouldn't like. Um, you, you mentioned that you don't feel necessarily the right to complain about the Swift compiler, but you know, I think everybody has a right to complain about it and you shouldn't expect everybody to go and fix their own problems. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's tricky, right? Like uh, if everybody complains, then the, anybody who tries to make a project or to contribute to Swift or whatever, just just going to get burnt out. They're going to like get sick of it at, at the same time. Like, you know, they, do they have a responsibility to build good software and give it away for free? I, I'm not entirely sure. It's one of those, I feel like nobody's really figured it out, right? Like right now, I think the culture that we have is people create a very lucrative project. Maybe they create like the next Ruby on Rails or whatever. It gets really popular. Uh, they get lots of bug requests. They can't handle the bug requests. They eventually get burnt out and they leave. Um And I I think that's like a very common model these days. And the Patreon thing that I'm trying out, it's experimental for sure, is one way of like, you know, hey, can I prevent myself from going crazy in a few months?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I totally get it. I created uh, my Patreon because I felt like I was doing a lot of work and I was actually spending money. You know, I pay for my meetup subscription, I pay for the podcast hosting, et cetera. And I was like, at least I can like kind of get recoup some of those costs yeah yeah um my website is
1: costs me like uh you know however many dollars a month to host and yeah and stuff like that and it's like just recouping that alone is is nice right obviously uh, we could pay for it out of our own pockets and like take a hit every month for the subscription fees or whatever but you know then that just adds more demotivation Right. It's like, Oh, I'm not, not, first of all, like nobody, I don't get the sense that people really appreciate it. And second of all, like it costs me money. Why am I doing this? (laughs) Right. Like it's uh, but it's not a solved problem. It's uh, hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, open source is hard and like being, yeah, like being a contributor or like, yeah, being like a community uh, supporter, community organizer, whatever. Yeah. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly have gotten a lot of benefit out of it, um, and um, yeah, I created the Patreon thing as as I said, like to like do the recuperation. But I just announced on my last episode that I wasn't going to do the rewards anymore because I felt like I was already doing enough. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I know it's tough. Um, okay, so well, I wish you like the best of luck with the Patreon thing. If people are interested in the work that Brian's doing. Um, definitely go to his website and uh, read his articles and consider contributing um, so that uh, you, we can have someone, we can support someone, uh, we can support Brian in the work that he's doing to um, get more people um, interested in Swift and get more people um, sort of to be able to contribute to this language that we, we love. Um, and so, I mean, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are going to continue to focus on people who are um, new to this type of stuff and beginners. It's really, really cool. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm currently working on, um, I think people are getting tired, readers are getting tired of just hearing about the build system all day. So I'm currently working on some articles for uh, the driver. So like the the main entry point to the compiler, that first line of code that's executed when you run Swift on the command line or build a Swift project in Xcode. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, supplementary information that goes into that. Like, yes, I could talk about the source code, but this, it's also like, okay, well, how do I debug this, right? And then from there, it's like, how do I pick up a starter task? Like, how do I, you know, read a description and then figure out what the heck is this even talking about? So this is going to be a lot of interesting content.
0: Yeah, and there's really no official um, source. Uh, like, Apple doesn't have, like, an official guide to this. Like, there's some information on, like, I think cloning the project maybe and like running Swift from the command line, but there's no like official Apple documentation on like swift.org about like contributing to Swift, like beyond like there is a contributing section, but there isn't, it doesn't go into like what you're getting into, I feel like, and what other people have. Yeah, so who yeah. knows? Maybe, um, maybe after, maybe after all these articles, you'll have contributed like a really good body of work and maybe um, these types of things can be compiled into like an official source.
1: Oh, I would love to do that. Yeah. The, the, um, they did, Apple did publish this thing about, uh, like how to contribute a new Swift refactoring using lib syntax.
0: That's right. That
1: was fantastic. And like that, just articles like that, I think are so cool and, and right along the, like, right in the wheelhouse of, uh, you and I's new, uh, Swift contributor working group. Like, but, yeah, it's it's like that's, I think, uh, the missing link for a lot of people who would be interested in, in contributing to Swift. It's like, okay, but how do I actually do that, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay, so is there anything else on um, contributing to the Swift compiler that you want to talk about that we sort of missed?
1: Oh, no, I, I think, uh, yeah. So we
0: discussion. are we are like nearing the two-hour mark, and there's still a bunch of stuff that uh, we could have talked about. Man, I am...
1: I talk too much. I'm sorry. No, not
0: at all. Not at all. And I swear I was like, I'm going to keep this episode to an hour. Um, It's just hard. It's just hard. Um, So, I mean, we talked about LLVM at Facebook, I think, enough, um, like, you know, what that is. Um, Real quick, Android target to Swift. Um, You did that, I guess. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, we talked at the very beginning about uh,
1: converting like Swift source code to zeros and ones. Um, those zeros and ones, you need a different sequence of them right, T- for them to run on your Mac as opposed to on an Android device, which is basically like a Linux-based uh, operating s- based operating system within an ARM processor. Uh, so those processors need a certain sequence of zeros and ones. Um, all the, the Swift port into, in Swift was really just adding a way for Swift um, to specify like, oh, give me uh, an executable that is capable of running on that processor, uh, and so typically how you would do this, you would, you invoke Swift on the command line, you pass like dash target, and you say macOS or something like that, right? macOS x86 sixty four for for a sixty four bit chip, um, and usually that's taken care of you uh, for you by Xcode or it's like the command line default. Uh, but we I just added this. Uh, this target for Android. It was actually a lot of work that other people had done, and I, I just kind of spruced it up and put
0: it in a pull request. But isn't Swift already running on an ARM chip, like with the iPhone? Yeah,
1: so it wasn't you know you could, it wasn't a huge leap for it to get to run on uh, Android, and okay. and also um, it wasn't a huge leap. A few months later, when somebody ported it to uh, PS4, so you can like target PS4 in Swift as
0: well. Uh, the main sort of effort right now beyond application, you know, Apple application development is um, Swift on the server. But what are your thoughts on um, Swift on Android and Swift on whatever, I don't know, anything, Windows or PS4, like what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, there's this guy uh, John Holdsworth who continues to work on uh, Swift on Android and it's just an inspiration. It's like he is getting all of the peripheral libraries like Foundation and Lib Dispatch and all those things to work on Android as well. And wow. uh, like, yeah, it's it, so he's building it out and maybe one day it'll be a thing where, you know, it really is a viable option for Android developers. But there's a lot of work that needs to be put into into it before that happens. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Work that uh, I, I tend to lose focus a lot, you know, so like <laughs> I it's it's not necessarily work that I'm focusing on right now. Uh, OK, cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, Swift Core Libs XC test. Yeah. What is that?
1: Ah, so um, when you run Swift on the server, right, you don't have access to UIKit, let's say, right? Because UIKit is a library that's uh, provided by Apple to run on your Mac. and Well, to run on an iPhone and, uh, and stuff like that. And it's private. Exactly. Uh, so when Apple open-sourced Swift, um, you know, one of the big announcements was like, oh, by the way, one more thing, it works on Linux, too. And that's you know, phenomenal, except that, you know, when people think about Swift programming, they also think about a lot of things that aren't necessarily the Swift programming language. They think about APIs that are like foundation, right? They, they think about the fact that they are able to access the file system and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and do things like that. So in addition to open sourcing the Swift project, Apple also open sourced like Swift Core Libs Foundation, and that's uh, an implementation of the foundation framework that works on, that's written in Swift, and so therefore can be compiled such that it works on Linux. And in addition, they included this Swift CoreLibs XC test, which is an implementation of the Apple framework XC test uh, that is written in Swift, and so therefore can work on Linux as well. The thing is though, uh, when Apple first open sourced it, the XC test one, it was like, I forget how many files it was. It was maybe like three source code files and there was very little in it. Uh, and I am a huge fan of XC test. Uh, it was like, you know, writing quick and before that maintaining other testing frameworks like Kiwi, uh, I just, you know, really love that framework. And I, was, and I was like floored because it's like, oh, cool. I finally, like I'll never work for Apple, but like the, I can finally work from New York on test, which is like my dream. So uh, I just dived right in and I started implementing a lot of the XC XCTest uh, methods and stuff like that in Swift. Um, and now as a result, like you can use a lot of those methods on uh, Swift on the server. So I added um, things like asynchronous expectations, right? Like uh, XC test expectation, you can use that on the server and or on a Linux machine. Uh,
0: two things. you you don't really believe that you'll never work at Apple or is that you saying like you don't want to, or you don't think they would hire you or what? Oh, they'll on? never hire me because they okay, why? will never hire uh, someone who lives in New York. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and you would never consider moving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have considered it. it it's actually really funny. Uh, the only time I would have worked for Apple in my life was when I wanted to leave grad school. Right. And I got an email from an Apple recruiter that was like, Hey, you should work for Apple. And I emailed them back, and they never responded. So I'm like, "Oh shoot, missed the opportunity." But I, at that point in my life, I was considering moving to California, uh, so I was like, yeah, "You know, too bad." But wow. the, um, but now, yeah, I, I don't think it'd be really hard to move across the country and uproot my life. And I have so many friends here, and yeah, I totally. just don't want to. Um, and okay, yeah.
0: so when you say you implemented like asynchronous expectation, uh, I don't understand. Like, how do you how do you? How does that? So you yeah. made it so that you can do it on on Linux. So like you saw what was already happening in open source Swift for that method, and then you re-implemented it so that it worked on Linux.
1: Uh, sort of. Yeah. Like um, more like uh, like you mentioned, UIKit is private, and so is XCTest. XCTest is a private framework uh, that uh, you use, you know, from within Xcode on your Mac. Uh, in order to write tests uh, for your app. And um, you, I could see that like, you know, if you write out, you know, uh, if if you use an XC test expectation from within your, you know, test suite, from within Xcode, you know, and, and, and uh, create an expectation that way, I could see what it did, right? It's like, oh, okay, it has this API and this is the method and this is the arguments it takes and it works this way. Um, the Swift core lives XC test project is a project where you take that same API, the method signature, and like the fact that it takes that many arguments and you port that you write it again in Swift. Um, but it has
0: a unique implementation. Like you don't know how it works under the hood um, when you're using it in Xcode. I mean, maybe you could stop like the debugger and kind of see the threads, that kind of whole thing. Maybe, I don't know. I've never done that, but like. You're actually really implementing it from scratch. Yeah, exactly.
1: And it's wow. kind of, uh, you know, like I said, it's a fantastic opportunity if you don't work at Apple to kind of pretend to be an Apple engineer who works on one of these frameworks uh, because you can, like, okay, well, I don't work on XC tests, but if I did work on XC test, this is how I would write XC test in Swift. Wow. Uh, so it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: I wonder how similar the internal implementations are. And uh, I mean, we probably will never know, but I wonder if you've know. ever. I wonder if you've ever chatted with any Xcode. Um, I'm assuming maybe that's Xcode um, team members and like. Anyways, that's really. interesting. Oh, I've,
1: I've chatted with them, but you know, Apple employees are so tight-lipped, so I don't know yeah, totally. if anything is. You know, I've never asked them about like the individual bits of code and like whether, oh, are these three lines the same? Uh, you, know, you can <laughs> tell me, I'm your friend. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, no,
0: I don't know. Super, super interesting. Okay, um, last uh, question before we move on to uh, rapid fire. Um, Android phone question mark? Oh yeah, I use an Android phone. Um, I
1: go running a lot. That's like my hobby. Um, and so when I go jogging in New York, you know, sometimes in the fall and the winter, it's like forty degrees Fahrenheit outside, or, or you know, even below freezing sometimes. And I had an iPhone 6S Plus. I want to say. And every time I went out with it, it would shut off. Oh, my gosh. So it would just turn right off. And uh, I went to an Apple store, and they were like, oh, well, this this only happens in the 6S, not the six X Plus. So your phone is fine. And I'm like, well, clearly it's not fine because it doesn't work. But I just uh, I switched to an Android phone, and it never had the same problem. Um, and I'm, I'm considering switching back after the iPhone X comes out. And if people say that it doesn't freeze, uh, <laughs> then I might, take, I might get it. But I, I don't
0: know. Okay. What about an Apple watch with like GPS or does that freeze to?
1: Oh, so at the time uh, that I switched to Android, the Apple watches, I don't think had GPS. Um, so that was out, but also like, uh, I like having my phone, you know, it's, it's yeah.
0: fun to Apple watch with GPS and cellular that doesn't
1: freeze. Oh no, that, that is uh, super interesting, right? Like I was, I'm considering getting that for running, uh, specifically, um,
0: I'm yeah, totally maybe. trying to get you back over to the iPhone.
1: <laughs> um Android is really nice. Uh, it's it's a really, really great um, experience too. Uh, and I, I think part of uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed since switching is is just kind of dropping a little bit of the um uh, idolatry around Apple, right? Like Apple does really, really great work. Uh, but they're not the only people who do some of that great work,
0: Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Oh, moving right
1: along. Mm -hmm. Just two hours (laughs) into this short, short discussion.
0: Um, Okay. So rapid fire, what drives you?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Different things at different times, I guess. But, uh, you know, I want to work on technical projects that are hard. I guess I enjoy hard, difficult things.
0: Yeah, you like challenging, um, challenging problems. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. And so uh, here I am working on like one of the things that I think is one of the most difficult things that I can think of. Um, it's also really low level, which drives me too. it's it's fundamental. You know, like how does my Swift code even work in the first place? Let's find out. Uh, and after this, I'm thinking uh, Facebook also has like a Linux kernel team. And it's like that sounds cool too. Maybe in a couple of years, if or five, ten years, or whatever, when I get tired of compilers, I'll move on to that. Who knows? But I think I think what drives me is is like the really low level, difficult stuff.
0: Uh, Linux kernel. That's like um, operating system type of systems, yeah, right, yeah. Which um, Chris Latner has made it seem like that's sort of like the next frontier after server side.
1: Oh no, no, really? Okay. I don't want it to seem like I'm just following, uh, you know, whatever Chris Lander does. But all right. <laughs> Shoot. I guess I am. Just living well, in the shadow of the man.
0: Well, no. he I mean, he's working at Google. But like when he talks about uh, world domination, which he uses that phrase a lot. And I don't know like how everyone else feels about it. But it <laughs> sounds kind of scary. Yeah. Totally. Like world domination. Yeah, It's not a um, thing to
1: aspire to in 2017, I feel like.
0: Yeah, so um, like right now it's server, and I think like he sort of hinted at least that um, next would be like systems programming. Oh,
1: I see what you mean. Like a, as a frontier for a Swift, the language to be good at. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can see that. Um, right, because like the Linux kernel, from what I understand, is written in C. So, uh, you know, can we do better these days? I think we can, but, you know, the, creating a language that is perfect for that sort of programming, you know, who knows what that would look like.
0: All right. What do you do when you're not programming?
1: Uh, yeah, I mentioned going running, go running a lot. Uh, I try to get good at it, but I kind of enjoy the fact that I'm really bad at it sometimes, you know, like bad at running. Yeah. Like, um, there, for example, I've never run a marathon and, uh, whenever I tell this to people that I run with, they're like, Oh, you you know, you could do a marathon if you try, like, I'm sure you'll be able to do it. And you know, that's, that's motivating sometimes. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of feel, it kind of feels nice doing something in my life where it's like, yeah, I'm not the best at it. I'm never going <laughs> to be the best. And or like having
0: that pressure of thinking that you need to be the best or be good at right, it. Right, right.
1: Like running is really awesome because you can just go out and like run, right? And then usually I take photos while I'm running and it, you know, really photos that I like about like the sunset or like the the, the skyscape of like the city. and
0: Or this bridge.
1: Yeah, the same bridge over and over and over again that I upload to Twitter. Um, yeah, that's like, that's just something I enjoy. So, um, but
0: I didn't know you could be good at running. Um, but that's fine.
1: Yeah. For example, so, I mean, uh, right now, um, I'm trying to lose weight because there is apparently according to some running magazines, there is an ideal weight for people to run at, Um, and it depends on what your height is and what your body fat percentage is and stuff like that. So I'm trying to lose weight in order to hit my ideal running weight. And then maybe, who knows, I'll be, I'll be faster. But th- okay. the general idea of being good at running is that you run faster, <laughs> right?
0: Like, so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. But like, I would describe that as being fast. Oh, that's Like, you funny. either, you either like run or you don't run. I guess like being good at running is like, you trip when you run or you don't trip.
1: Oh, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. I wonder why I describe it in that way. Like, good at running. <laughs> um <laughs> I guess because running is such an institution, you know, like there's there's so much uh, running magazines and running celebrities and. Oh, running my gosh. Legends.
0: I never thought about it that way. To me, like running is like that's like, you know, humans own that, you know, nobody <laughs> owns running. Yeah. <laughs> OK, uh, I just want to mention real quick, Chris Eidhoff and I believe Florian, too. They really enjoy running. I went jogging with them once. They are really, really fast. They're, they're good at running? Oh, they are good at
1: running, yes. <laughs> Very good. Um, like Chris, you know, talks about, uh, like, so he and I are both on Strava, you know, the run tracking app. Yeah. And I see Chris's runs, and he's just like, just a quick jog, and it's like six-minute miles. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I can never, I can't run that fast. <laughs> I've never run that fast in my life, and I probably never will. But So it, it's, it's always fun seeing that.
0: All right. Desktop or laptop? Oh. Yeah, good question. Um
1: I I like a laptop.
0: Nice. So trackpad.
1: Yeah, uh that's my setup at home. It's just trackpad and keyboard, you know.
0: Uh standing or sitting?
1: Sitting. 100% sitting. I've never used a standing desk in my life and uh every time there's an article posted about how like, oh, actually standing desks are what's killing you, I always save that, you know, like I put it in a <laughs> bookmarks folder. Um
0: huh. I I can't concentrate when I stand. Uh, get from the command line or GUI command line vim or emacs vim tabs or spaces um
1: whatever people use i like <laughs> i don't want to spend even a second thinking about it but i guess spaces spaces <laughs> in my own projects and, it's
0: spaces and test or no test i'm assuming tests. i'm you assuming te-
1: yeah tests are great although you know what that's something that like Uh, Over time, I've definitely changed my thoughts on, like, for example, uh, um, my current website, no tests, no tests at all. (laughs) Not a single test. I could I could push out something that completely takes the entire thing down. And I kind of like that. It's like it's fun to just go with the flow, you know. But if you're working on a team, like if I'm working on a team, 100 percent tests, because that is so frustrating when there are no tests.
0: And something that's, like, crucial, like, you know, Facebook, for instance, versus, you know, Motocache.io. Not that it's not crucial, but, like, billions of people aren't using it. Yeah, website, no, 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 right? no,
1: I can tell you that billions of people are not using it. <laughs> I will tell you that <laughs> in confidence.
0: Um, okay, real quick before we get to your Twitter bio, like, um, are you doing much iOS programming at all? Or at least, like, even interest in it? Like, looking into it? Yeah, it?
1: no, I haven't done, um, you know, not, not that I'm not interested in it, but it's, like, I haven't done iOS programming in a year
0: plus. Um, a- and then Swift, do you do much Swift programming or is it mostly the contributing stuff? Or do you like play around at all with Swift and Playgrounds or anything like that?
1: Huh, no, I uh, <laughs> I do not do a lot of Swift programming. Um, it's uh, it's strange, right? It's weird. But like I, I really should do more, but I don't.
0: Yeah, but you're like, it's interesting to be, you're on like the other side in a way, like you're working on the language, you know? Um, okay, so... Twitter bio. I think we've covered pretty much everything on, um, on the Twitter bio profile picture. I've always loved your Twitter profile picture.
1: Oh, thanks. It was taken by a colleague at Facebook.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. With like a really nice camera.
1: Yeah. He had a really nice camera and I don't know the first thing about cameras. So I just asked him, Hey, (laughs) point that thing (laughs) this way.
0: Uh, glasses real or not? Not real.
1: Yeah. Real. Okay. I can't see a single thing without these <laughs> and they get the prescription gets worse and worse every year
0: do you still rock a beard yeah yeah uh, nice yep uh okay no Twitter banner I guess you probably never used twitter on uh on the on the web or you just you're not a banner no, guy?
1: no no I had one I, I don't know I just uh
0: why don't you make the bridge your banner dude
1: uh yeah but uh, I just like the blue I guess <laughs> I kind of thought it looked a little like simpler and cleaner but it does look. Yeah. Huh. It does. I, but Yeah. I've got, I've got like a, a hundred thousand bridge photos that I could just cycle through.
0: Nice. Uh, okay. Um, and I saw something in your Twitter feed. I wanted to talk to you real quick about, sure. you were uh, talking about Swift dash format, not Swift format um, by Nick Lockwood, mm-hmm. but you were also asking people about Swift Lint and Swift format. Um, so, is swift dash format is that like still a thing i saw the last like work on it was like in 2014 or 15 or something yeah yeah somebody
1: contributed to the swift compiler and um i'm sorry i'm blanking on his name but he's a really cool guy uh and uh he contributed it and uh, has been a little busy so not a ton of work has been done on it since i think it's an interesting project right because right uh, currently we have the three of them there's nick lockwood swift format there's realms uh, the jp simards uh i'm not sure who
0: who's the yeah and no, i think he i think he created it yeah
1: yeah so there's his uh swift lint and then there's um swift dash format which is built in to the compiler but i'm not sure if it's Well, so here's the thing, right? Like uh, the Swift dash format executable might not be shipped along with every copy of Swift, but I'm pretty sure if you invoke Swift dash dash driver mode equals Swift dash format, then it's included in everybody's copy of Swift. So from my point of view, it seems like uh, if it's, if it's not already shipped, then it, it could potentially be shipped maybe along in all of Apple's releases. And if it is shipped in all of Apple's releases, then, that's a huge audience, right? Like, you know, forget about asking people to install Swift format or Swift Lint. You could just have them use Swift format and it's built in. Um, and it also, so it, it's kind of an interesting project in that way uh, to contribute to. Um, it's also fairly new, like you mentioned, and there hasn't been very much work done, on, been done on it. So uh, there's a lot of room for contributions. Uh, so I was just kind of curious, like oh, I wonder, you know, what is everybody u- in the world using for their Swift projects? Like you mentioned, like I don't do a ton of iOS development day to day, so I don't know what like teams are using at various companies. But it seems like it's something that people could use, um, yeah, and also something that people c- could uh, contribute to. There's also something called um, so Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Ah. No, that, but that is a really interesting project, but that's not what I was thinking of. Um, see, with Swift format, it's based off of this, Swift dash format, I should say, uh, is based off of this Clang thing. So when uh, the C compiler, right, has a Clang dash format. Um, the C compiler Clang also has a Clang dash tidy, which goes further than just formatting your code. It also like points out potential programming errors and it's kind of like like a linter like a linter exactly
0: okay so um
1: you know theoretically one could contribute a swift dash tidy to the swift project and i think you know there's potentially room for that to be included in the compiler itself and then if that's the case then you again you know you have a huge audience off the bat because everybody like everybody who uses swift has a copy of the swift compiler on their machine so you know, you can kind of ship software that way and it's potentially interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really, I've used SwiftLint. I've used SwiftFormat, uh, swift format. I like those projects. I like the idea of there being something uh, built in, uh, to Swift as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, cool. All right. Well, that wraps up the, uh, the interview. Um, where can people contact you online if at all?
1: Yeah. Twitter anytime. Uh, like you said, uh, MotoCash M O D O C A C H E on Twitter, uh, or you know, message me on Patreon if you want to sign up on there. That's I'm always there. Uh, and w-
0: yeah, what is what is MotoCash? Where does that come from?
1: Yeah, so when I was at that uh, you know online brokerage in Japan when I was working there, I had a Twitter account that was uh, B G which is my name. And I would tweet out things like, oh, man, work is pretty boring today. And they found it. And they were like, please don't tweet that stuff, right, because it looks bad for the company. And please delete your Twitter account. And, you know, uh, delete your account, pretty common epithet these days. And they meant it. They were like, delete it. Oh, wow. And so I deleted it, and I had to come up with a name that was, like, not the same. And I just came up with uh, MotoCash, which I thought was a clever pun on the Japanese word, MotoKashi, which means, like... Um, I'm blanking on the exact meaning, but it's kind of like awkward. I, I don't know how to translate it well. Okay, but yeah, so it's like a. I, I thought it was a play on word on a play on words for awkward, um, but it has really not served me very well because now most of the people who I interact with online are not Japanese speakers, so <laughs> they know <laughs> nobody knows how to pronounce it. Kind of like my last name.
0: Oh man, that's great. Okay, so uh, people can contact you there. Uh, very last thing, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Oh, um, one piece of advice.
1: Just uh, keep having fun with it, I guess. And if you ask anybody for advice, like what you should do next, uh, don't listen to them too much, right? Because like in the end, learning things is all about maintaining motivation and keeping it fun. Um, so if somebody gives you some advice that you disagree with, then just don't listen to it, I guess.
0: Nice. I like that. All right, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today for sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, growing up in New York, uh, not really doing that much with computers at all until, uh, what was it? I guess college sort of, you had a roommate that, um, you know, did some some programming. But even then, not really. Um, you know, studying Japanese literature, moving to Japan, working as a Japanese translator, then joining this online uh, stockbroker, firm, and the boss, you know, kind of telling you guys, hey, learn about programming, which you kind of already knew he was interested in. And uh, your friend, roommate, told you to learn C, and you're like, eh, I think I'm just going to learn Python because it sounds cool.
1: Yeah,
0: C yeah, and you very quickly realized that you enjoyed uh, programming, and you uh, decided um, because you know the outlook sort of of, of uh, being in a Japanese translator or you know working in Japanese literature wasn't really. and when you also like you realized you were good at communicating, but you had nothing to comu- or you felt like you didn't have much to communicate with these people, and so you kind of wanted to find another passion. And anyways, you felt like you found that in programming, and uh, then you changed your LinkedIn profile. And to a programmer and then Alexei, Alexis, I think, the Russian headhunter found yeah. you Man, and recruited my you. Life. Yeah, he recruited you to work at this uh, Japanese you know, tech company um, doing iOS development. And you stalled your interview, your first interview, you stalled your second interview so that you could you know, brush up, you could learn. You knew nothing about iOS development at the time. And you ended up getting that job. Then uh, you got deported um, after working really, really hard in Japan. Like you gave Japan all these hours and then they deported you after a year. Uh, And you come back to New York and you, you know, you fall in love with New York. You're having an excellent time. You, um, you were working at this uh, tech startup there doing iOS development. But then you're like thinking, I want to be a real programmer and I'm going to go back to Japan and, um, and get the master or, you know, master's, a graduate degree. And so after a year of doing iOS development there, you, you go back to Japan because now you're allowed to go to Japan. You get accepted for that program and you're doing it. Uh, you do it for a year during that time, you get recruited multiple times. And by the, uh, nearing near the end of that first year or that year back in Japan, you fell out of love with, um, with, um, maybe not necessarily being in Japan, but like that program. You didn't really like that program. It wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Um, and so you accepted a position at Facebook, um, in the summer of 2014, you moved back to New York and, um, you did iOS development there. Um, uh, it sounds like for, uh, three years, uh, and, uh, which we actually didn't talk that much about. Um, and then now you recently started working on L O V M and tool chains at Facebook mm-hmm. and, and uh you're a huge swift contributor in lots of different ways um and yeah you're just living the dream <laughs> thank you
1: yeah thanks that's uh that's a pretty good summary of like my entire life
0: <laughs> i'm sure there was a lot in there but uh, we we got to as much of it as we could oh, so man, yeah, yeah thank
1: you two hours is enough to talk about my <laughs> yeah but yeah it was really fun thanks a lot um it was good good chatting
0: Yeah, so thank you for sharing that story with us. You also recently launched um, this new effort that you're doing where you're going to be helping people contribute, beginners um, to contribute to the Swift compiler, and you launched a Patreon page, so I wish you luck with that. And so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that story with
1: us. Yeah, thanks.
0: And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on overcast if you have any questions comments or just want to say hi contact me on twitter until next time go swiftly my friends